Welcome to Death Holler. Do you like scary movies? Welcome to Season 3. Slash or pass. There will be laughter. <laughs> tears. <laughs> tender moments. Jeez. Jeez. My special, special boy. But most of all, screams. Remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you have a killer time. Welcome back to Death Holler. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. Death, and joining me as always is the vengeful spirit that Bloody Mary wishes she could be, La Urena. Have you ever used a mirror to claim one of your victims, La Urena? You know, I have, but in a little bit of a different way. You remember that scene in Jennifer's body where she just slathering on a shit ton of makeup to cover up the dead? Oh, yeah, or she's looking pretty ratchet, you know, with that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I do. That's what I do to lure the victims in. I uh, cover up the dead, and then uh, they'll talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, today we are discussing one of the later slasher franchises uh, based upon a short story by Clive Barker and his Books of Blood series. This film series established a new horror icon and cemented Tony Todd as one of the genre's greats. So join us and be our victims as we discuss the Candyman films. Podcast plug. If you are enjoying the podcast, we would appreciate it if you would take the time to like, comment, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer. It helps us get more visibility on podcast listings and helps us grow. Also consider following us on social media. You can find us on TikTok and Twitter under Death Holler Pod, and we can be found on Instagram and Facebook under Death Holler Podcast. We appreciate everyone who listens and hope you enjoy the show. But first, let's attack some bees. What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Out of my eyes! I was literally saying that as I watched this movie. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> Candyman, Day of the Dead, 1999. Taglines. Blood is sharper than the blade. I, that's bad. It's just bad. Blood is sharper than the blade. Uh, yeah. No. <clears throat> Directed by Turi Meyer. Written by Clive Barker, Alfredo Septian, and Turi Meyer. I'm sure these are all Clive Barkers in the sense it's based on his characters. I was about to uh, say, I don't think he had anything to actually do with this. 
Definitely not this one. Uh, music by Adam Gorgoni. Uh, principal player is Donna D'Erico, which plays Caroline McKeever, who is our uh, final girl in this movie, uh, and also the great, great, great granddaughter of the Candyman, uh, okay. played in the film <clears throat> again by Tony Todd, uh, who's playing the Candyman slash Daniel Robitaille. Uh, Mark Adair Rios plays Miguel Velasco. Um, He's kind of like an art critic who uh, is uh, uh, supposedly a friend to Donna, but like he uses her history of her being related by, to the Candyman to kind of further his own like career. So he's kind of a douchebag. Uh, Rena Raphael plays Lena. Uh, Elizabeth Hayes plays Annie uh, Tarrant, uh, which is the, this movie's version of Annie. We'll, we'll get back to her when we cover Farewell to the Flesh. Um, she's Caroline's mother in this movie. Uh, Alexia Robinson plays Tamara. Uh, Robert O'Reilly plays L.V. Sacco. Wade Williams plays Samuel Kraft. And uh, Jesus Garcia, who has already been on this podcast, who was in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, is playing David De La Paz, uh, and he's under his pseudonym in this movie still as Nick Corey, because I guess even though he's playing a Mexican character, he still can't be Jesus Garcia because that's still too Mexican or something. In 1999. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why he was still Nick Corey at this point. And the movie is very has a lot of Mexican themes in it, so I don't know why he even cared if it whatever. It's um, it's a thing. Okay, so I got Do you think that maybe he thought he was already established enough as Nick Corey that he was just like I can't escape that? I, I guess maybe. Uh, I mean, it was he I, I don't know who he is, so like I don't want to talk shit is was he is he a somewhat of a known actor other than maybe we've seen him in a movie or two i feel like a lot of his stuff if i remember right from the nightmare on m street was like bit parts on tv shows like you know you'd think like uh svu or or you know like one of those type shows okay. you know like he's he's one of the guys that, token you know, mexican the, yeah, basically folks <laughs> i can say that i am mexican so <laughs> that's okay <laughs> Um, synopsis set mm -hmm. in Los Angeles during the celebration of Dia de los Muertos. Of course, of course it is. Uh, this cheaply made sequel gets things wrong right from the start. <laughs> Canonically featuring a protagonist should, uh, that should only exist in 2015, but taking place in 1999 using effects work that would make Ed Wood cringe, <laughs> replacing all of the franchise's style with blood and tits. Okay. And then, and the only thing this movie has going for it is Tony Todd's acting as Candyman. A goth cult worships our slasher. Abuela tries to save our heroine. <laughs> and Candyman likes to keep it in the family, if you know what I mean. And by Ew. that, I mean he literally French kisses his great great granddaughter. So <laughs> it's kind of gross. Um, body count 16. Respectable. Respectable. We have Miguel, who has the hook through the back and out the front. Nice. Uh, we have Lena, who is killed by bees. <laughs> what, what is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees. Not the bees. Ah! Oh, my eyes. 
So Lena is this blonde whore that Miguel's hooking up with, Ooh. and this is the worst makeup effect that I've seen in any of these movies. They, you know how like when we get to discuss in the first Candyman, they had real bees <laughs> on Tony Todd and on Virginia Madsen. Yeah, they were specifically trained or something, or yeah, they, not yeah, old they, enough to sting. They, yeah, they were less than twenty four hours old, so they didn't have stingers. You know. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, uh, only, still can't do it. Yeah, um, and he still had those in his mouth, but we'll get to that when we discuss that movie. This one, they pa- they pasted some kind of black crud that kind of looked like a, a you know just just a mess on her face and on her side, and of course she's showing her tits during this whole thing because that's what the movie tries to. It's like if it can't stimulate you one way, it's going to be through the <laughs> other way. Or so maybe they she- want want the tits to kind of distract from the horrible effects. Well, maybe, but the problem is they keep focusing on her the entire time that they're doing this, like close up. They could have just cut to her really quick as she's screaming and then cut back to Miguel who's getting sliced. Okay. Um, but every time they show her, it gets even worse because when she moves, the, the way that the the stuff that's stuck to her moves is so awful and it just doesn't work. Gross. So. Uh, Annie Tarrant is found in a tub with her neck slashed. So nice. it this movie posits that after what happened in Farewell to the Flesh, Annie, uh, who was pregnant with a child, uh, the Candyman's great great grandchild or whatever, at the end of the second movie, uh, some point later on, she it looks like she committed suicide. But the thought is is that the Candyman came back and claimed her anyway. Okay. Um, it's it's one of the decent scenes in the movie. The blood's pretty good. Uh, the way they stage it, because it's all in like flashbacks from the main character uh, Caroline's point of view or dream sequences. It, it's it's okay. Uh, Tamara has a hook to the stomach. That's uh, Caroline's best friend. Nice. Uh, and of course, it's her black best friend, which the series has a history of doing. The white blonde lady with a black friend, and the black friend dies. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, is what it is. Uh, Detective Sacco gets a hook through the mouth. Uh, while he's in a car, it's one of the best scenes in the movie, actually. Um, but it has one flaw to it. I mean, Tony Todd's great in the scene, but the, they do this horrible job in this movie of creating his stump, and it looks like there is a huge, like his arm is skinny up to a point. There's this big, massive, like uh, extension you can see on his arm at the coat level, and then this horrible, fleshy little stump comes out of it, and then there's the hook, and in the first movie, they did a really good job with that because it's all covered in blood and it looks gross. Looks like it's been bleeding recently. This one, it's just this dry little rubbery stump that's got the hook coming out of it. Looks off. Yeah, the first bad. one was disgusting. Like I didn't want that thing touching me. <laughs> yeah, and this movie, it's all. It's just. It looks like a prop from a movie. Like it is that bad. Like it looks like if you go to uh, Spirit Halloween and get a Candyman hook arm, how that would look if you went out in public with it. I mean, it it looks that cheap. Gross. Uh, nine gang members are slaughtered off screen by Candyman with Hook. Those are the uh, goth cult I was talking about. And for some reason, they have decided that Candyman and all of his shenanigans is something that they worship because they're all into death because it's so cool. Yeah. And they get they corner Caroline in bondage gear, no less, of course. with a ball gag and everything on her face and tell her that they're going to summon the Candyman so that, that she could be sacrificed and they'll get the reward. And since that's one of his great grandchildren, of course, he kills them and then he offers her to join him because that's what he does when it's family. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, Candyman himself is slashed and set on fire through the painting. Basically, in this movie, it's established that it's like almost like Dorian, the picture of Dorian Gray. Yeah. Kind of going back to its gothic roots a little bit, the Candyman series. When you attack the the picture, that can, the self-portrait that the Candyman made of himself, whatever you do to it, it does it to him. So yeah. not not terrible. It's It's one of the better things in the movie. Uh, and then Detective Kraft, who is a uh, racist fucking asshole the entire movie and uh, is always talking about, you know, calling Mexican spicks and you know, <laughs> like, you know every, everything that you can possibly throw out. And he's calling the black detective boy all the time in the movie. Boy. Um, yeah, he uh, he gets his own because while it looks he's got the hook in his hand. Carolyn's there by herself after she's got rid of the candy man and. Uh, when the, the the other detective comes in that he's been calling boy the entire time, sees him standing there with a hook threatening Caroline, he shoots him, and that ends Detective Kraft for the movie. So the racist gets his due at the end. Um, trivia in this movie, Tony Todd revealed on February 23rd, 2008, at Fangoria's Weekend of Horrors Convention in Chicago that he did not care for this movie. Don't blame him. Yeah. Um, I was actually watching some special features on uh, both the first and the second movie, and in Farewell to the Flesh, he said there are two Candyman movies. That's the way he phrased it. He said there's two. So he totally resolves <laughs> this movie of existing. Oh. <laughs> Uh, shortly before production began, uh, Artisan discovered that Sony, who distributed the first film in the U.S., had legal, legal right to any sequel. Someone in the legal department had not checked, but luckily for them, Sony declined any involvement, <laughs> and the film was free to go on. That's sad. Yeah, Sony was just like, yeah, sure, whatever, take it. We don't, we're not going to do anything <laughs> You with can't it. sit with us. <laughs> and after the success of Freddy vs. Jason, Lionsgate wanted to make a horror crossover of their own using the Candyman and the other lucrative figure they had rights to at the time, the Leprechaun. No. When this idea was pitched to Tony Todd, he immediately shot the whole thing down, believing it to be too ridiculous for gimmick to work and disrespectful to the character as tragic as the Candyman. And he's right. Yeah. These two characters make no sense together whatsoever. Um, he did have a, a funny story, though. He said that he's been at several conventions, obviously, with Robert and uh, and Kane Hodder, of course, you know, uh, Freddie and Jason, respectively. And he uh, he said that when he was it was discussed about the possibility of a Freddy versus Jason movie starring the Candyman, uh, he talked about how ridiculous it was and all that. And Robert was not in his head, and he said Robert leaned over and whispered to him, "And I'd kick your ass anyway." <laughs> <laughs> Fucking love it, dude! How lucky for like for for what's his name? Um, oh my god, why am I? Is it Tony? Yeah, Tony. Tony. Todd, I, I, yeah. Well, I was I was mistaken for Todd. Like, can you imagine? Like, you're just an actor, and you do this film, and it has the success that it has, or whatever. And now you become a horror icon. Now you get to be with the other horror icons from before you. Like, I would shit myself. Yeah, and I mean, he talks about how yeah, how fun it is. He especially he seemed to. Uh, really enjoy Robert like he he and like who wouldn't? always said everybody does like, yeah I was about to say who wouldn't like which by the way uh we share a birthday month apparently with Robert England and uh um Bruce Campbell oh we are so like yeah you know you got you have to be born near the, the hell month to <laughs> and I want to say that Danielle um Oh, what what is her name? Uh, I'm, I'm blanking her name. And Halloween four, um, 
Hold, please. I'll see Mail. if I can find it. Oh, God, I can't spell right now. Uh, Danielle Harris. Oh, okay. I, I believe she also has a birthday in the month of June. So it's it's a pretty big month for horror icons having their uh, their birthday months. How old is she? Oh, she's older than us. Gosh, she's pretty. She's a slut. Uh, she has a podcast with Scott Taylor Compton, who played another character in the Halloween series, in, um, along with Danielle Harris in the Rob Zombie versions. They are both smoking hot, and they've got like a podcast that's uh, basically plays on that. It's something like, uh, I mean, the name is suggestive. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's like, uh, you know, uh, show you our parts or something. I don't know. It's something like that. It's something weird. So, <laughs> mm, Hold on. Uh, Daniel Harris podcast. There it goes. Just look up Daniel Harris podcast. Talk scary to me. Yeah, yeah. Instead of talk dirty and to then, me. And of course. Yeah, and they're both, like, posed and, like, you know, half naked and that sort of thing. Well, so. the one of the first uh, pictures is them, like, in kind of, like, 80s workout outfits. That makes sense. Yeah, and then there's another one where they're sitting on, uh, I don't know, like, uh, regal chairs of sorts, and they're both dressed just kind of like just sluts, so whatever. Uh, they're both <laughs> hot, so no, like, no disrespect. The, the, I, I would do it, too. <laughs> um. But regardless, this movie, I feel like, does a major disservice to the Candyman franchise. Um, it, I, The effects are bad. The acting by Donna, especially. I mean, you, if you, you, get a fi- you get a final girl, you want her to at least be the centerpiece of the movie acting-wise uh, or at least be able to, you know, have some of the stage versus the, the slasher. That's one of the things that we had to complain about in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake is the fact that Mari, uh, Mara Rooney, Rooney or whatever. Rooney Mara. Uh, yeah, Rooney Mara. Uh, she is, uh, she was just like a wet blanket. Like, I mean, yeah. Jackie Earl Haley was doing the best he could, and, like, she was just there. So, like, in Donna Derrico in this one, she was, like, a former playmate or something like that uh, or one of those type models. So, I mean, she goes around in most of the movie with, like, a skin-tight wife beater on uh, with her nips poking out. And she there's a, and there's a scene, which is really weird in the movie, where they go back and they show, like, the Cane Man's origin once again, but, like, a different part of it where he's, like, painting uh, his beloved or whatever, you know, the one that actually, you know, his, uh, you know, love that got him in trouble. And they've replaced the original. It was Virginia Madsen was, you know, when we get to the Candyman movie is who it was supposed to be. Um, uh, Cause she was a reincarnated version of her. But like in this movie, it's Donna DeErico playing that part. So it's weird. It's like he, he, his lover that he ended up being like looking just like his great, great grandchild or something like that. And then it's like, it's got a, a weird incestual thing going on, and of course, in that scene, he he paints the like normal picture that the her father, the plantation owner, wanted him to paint. But then the virginal painting. But then he had a painting of her that was more seductive, where she was bearing her breast, and that's really the reason they hired Donna Derrico because she her you know throw her titties out there. So. Uh, Donna Derrico, <laughs> um, her boobies were real for a long time because there is a picture of her. Wearing this, she likes to wear white shirts that show off her knockers, and her right boob is hanging a lot lower than the left, um, and and that's normal. That 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 yeah. yeah. So she the, she had some real knockers for the long time. I don't know if they're still real. There's a couple photos where they look a little Tupperwareish, which means she probably could have just got a lift. 
you know, yeah, or, or a really good did. tape or bra. Uh, tape will do wonders, even to saggy mom boobs. Don't ask me how I know. <laughs> but she can't act is the main thing. I yeah. Mean, her tits are on display and that's fine, but she can't act and it ruins the movie, honestly. Boobs. Um, I mean, I mean, boo. <laughs> uh, this is, for the Nick Cage rating, this is getting The Wicker Man. Oh, my God. Go ahead and play it. I uh, mean, we got to play it. Fine, I guess. <laughs> what, what is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the beast. Not the beast. Ah! Oh, my eyes. I got to rewatch that movie. I don't even um, know that I've seen it all the way through. Well, just like the Wicker Man remake, this has some laughably bad scenes, <laughs> but nothing else to recommend this movie. Ooh, what? Not even the boobs? Uh, uh, There's better in other movies. Okay. Uh, it's it's not worth it just for that. Go go what there. You, go on the internet. You can find what you're looking for if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> Don't sit through this entire movie for that. And the abuela that they that they have this movie. Like I felt sorry for that old lady that they had playing that. Like you could tell she's just like this is fucking stupid. What you're having <laughs> me do in this movie. Like the whole thing was ridiculous. So. Yeah, but who is she as an actress? Because some people just don't have the ability to say that. Whether you feel uh, she, it or not. She wasn't anybody yeah. that I'm aware of. She looked like somebody got off the street, which is good because it fit the part. Yeah. But, like, you could tell she was just like, this is nonsense. Leave you know, like. the abuelitas of the streets alone, okay? <laughs> uh, let's move on to the actual good movie in the series. Um, Candyman, 1992. Tagline, we dare you to say his name five times. Okay, but don't you think five is a little excessive? They had to get it away is. from the three because that's the typical. But I think five is just, okay, like four is like, ooh, you said it three times. Now you said it four times. I think four would have been fine. But then we had to go to five, and it was like, mm, it's taking a really long time. Five is another prime, or is one of those prime numbers, I guess. You got three and five. I mean, they didn't want it. it anything even just seems wrong by, like, you know, the order yeah. metrics. So, um. And I don't know, I didn't count them, but I want to say in Farewell to the Flesh, whenever the crowd was chanting as they were chopping off his arm, they maybe chanted Candyman five times, and maybe that's why it, in the, the canon of it, that's why you have to say it that many times. I, I don't know. They don't, yes. they don't really say. Um, directed by Bernard Rose, um, or Bernard, uh, however you want to say that. Written by Clive Barker and uh, Bernard Rose. Uh, and Clive Barker had a hand in this one. So I, I would say more than just lending his original short story to this movie, he probably also had a hand in writing and like, uh, at least script approval, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, music by Philip Glass and it's amazing music for what it is. This really has a good score to it. It does. It's hauntingly beautiful. Yeah. It's got a classic Gothic romance type vibe to it, which they intended for sure. Uh, made for a budget of eight to nine million uh, U.S. dollars, it only made twenty five point eight million. Wait, 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 wait! What was that again? It was made for eight to nine million, and then twenty five million. Twenty twenty five point eight million. I wonder why. It, from what I understand, okay, it had a few things working against it. Uh, it was early nineties. Horror was in kind of a dead phase at that point. I mean, it really was. You had stuff like. <clears throat> trimmers and a few other things and like uh jacob slider that came out but none of them really set the world on fire they all became cold hits after the fact okay uh this had another thing working against it it was a slasher movie way after the slashers were dead 
Like, I mean, when they killed Freddie and, and, you know, in quotation marks, killed him in like 89 or whatever that was, people were done with slashers. This genre was just like nobody wanted to have a, you know, even go. And when people heard, it's like, oh, it's a slasher, but this time, you know, uh, set in the ghetto in Chicago, it's like yeah, people are like, pass, you know, I, I don't want that, you know. Uh, they when they saw the movie later and they realized it had way more going for it than any of that stuff ever, you know, really speaks to, they changed their tune and this movie became a massive cult hit and to this day it's still talked about in horror circles as being like one of the best in the genre. But like it it just at the time it didn't I mean it had too many things working against it. And I don't know that Universal really stepped out to really do much to because they owned it, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, or at least they were part of the production. Because I, when I was watching the Blu-ray that I've got, it's got Universal stamped on it. I don't know that they went out there and promoted it. Because they had Chucky and it, and he had kind of, you know, had his time in the sun and went away. So they were just like, whatever. You know, it is what it is. And they just moved on. I hate to get woke, but do you think it has anything to do with the, uh, the slasher being black? Um. I think that might have had something to do with it. Um, in fact, now that you mentioned that, they had to fight the NAACP to even get this movie made. Why? Because the NAACP did not want a black antagonist. They said that they didn't want black representation in a negative way. And they I had mean, to fight them on that. I could get that, but, like, <laughs> come on. like the, the hilarious thing about that is the black community loves this film, and rightly so. It's a great movie. It yeah. has a lot to say mm-hmm. in defense of the black community. Absolutely. I mean, and and they and they've taken to it and it's one of their their films they've ta- i mean just like you know how we said the gay community has taken in you know uh now on elm street part two is like their movie this is you know for the black community and rightfully so and like the NAACP is like no we're not going to we don't want that that's too negative same shit they're doing now oh they won't let God. they won't let uh uh, any kind of black or people of color, I hate that term, but that's what they're saying. They won't let any of those actors play uh, negative parts in, like, Marvel movies right now at all. It's like, that's the thing. Is like, we, 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 sometimes we, we like the villain. Sometimes we want to, it's all about fantasy, where either you want to be the sexy person or you want to be the villain or you want to be the hero. You should be able to choose... Without having to steal, like, I would I would hate for someone to steal Tony Todd's fucking character. Like, we don't want to change the color of it. But Tony Todd also didn't steal, like, Freddy Krueger, you know? He's his own character that, should you choose, you can go out and be him for Halloween. Or in real life. Take your pick. <clears throat> we've mentioned how Freddy is one of the most scummy slashers we've covered when mm-hmm. you get down to his, like, motivation. Yeah. Candyman's probably one of the most sympathetic sympathetic empathetic however you want to say that he really is like yeah he was brutally murdered for just loving a person that had just happened to be a different color than him and and i mean and it's i mean he and, and even whenever in the movie the way tony todd portrays the character there was a sadness to the character he doesn't necessarily like being the killer but that's what he's been relegated to because the hate they gave him he has to give back. That's kind of his curse. So yeah, and as it gets to the end of the movie, you kind of see how it works in terms of being the quotation mark candy man. Yeah. I'll, I'll explain a little so, as we get there. Yeah, and I but just going back to what your question was, I feel like at the time you're probably right. There <clears> might have <throat> been some people who were just like, 
you know, I mean, it, it's, hey, race relations are a problem in the U.S. to a certain extent. Less now, well, less at the time, I feel like, than they, they probably are even now because they've kind of stirred some stuff back up. But uh, it was still lingering. So there yeah. might have been that, that might have been behind why it had, like, such a low box office. I'm, I'm not going to rule that out. And now it's a cult classic, but okay. And, and I mean, across the spectrum, like, it doesn't matter, you know, gender, race, a lot of people love this movie. So. Yeah. Uh, principal players, we have Virginia Matson playing Helen Lyle. Uh, she is the final girl with a quotation mark. I, I think I've convinced myself that she fits the part, but we'll get to that when we discuss her in the Death Holler Awards. Um, she's been in a ton of stuff. Dune, Highlander 2, The Quickening. Uh, she was in The Prophecy that we covered, you know, a couple or seasons back. Uh, played a pretty good car- part in that movie. Uh, she was in uh, more recently in The Haunting in Connecticut, which is a pretty good film. Uh, Pray for the Devil, which just came out. She's in that one. Uh, she had a minor part uh, in Candyman 2021, the remake. Uh, she was in Better Watch Out. She plays like the mom in that movie. It's a, That's a pretty good film. Uh, horror comedy, as it were. <laughs> uh, she was in Red Riding Hood uh, with Amanda Seyfried. Uh, Zombie High was one of her first movies that she came out with, and she's done a shit ton of voice actor work. Um, she's just uh, she uh, she's done a lot, and they had her uh, talking about the movie, and I'll get into some of that in the trivia. But like, she still holds this up as one of her finest movies she ever did. She doesn't care if it's considered a horror film. She yeah. really feels like between what she and Tony added to the movie and the way it came out, she loves it. So that's that's good. Uh, Tony Todd plays the Candyman, who is the vengeful spirit slasher in the movie. Uh, he is he's embraced his horror, you know, icon status, and I mean, he does a ton of like lower budget horror films to be to be frank, but he's he does still work. Uh, he's in a movie and actually this year called Devil Row, uh, Realm of Shadows, Hellblazers. Uh, he was in the, he is, he lent he lent his voice to Candyman 2021. I don't know that he was actually in it, but his voice was. Okay. Was it the Candyman's voice? No, oh, the, okay. there's another <clears throat> Candyman in that movie. But when they mention the other Candyman that's existed, because that's one of the, the smart things about that movie. They set up that there's, they're, they're all of tragic backgrounds, but they all have different ways. They become the Candyman. Okay. They're different areas. Cause it's all like. I mean, it, it plays it's upon the fact on. that it's like a, it's a, it's an urban legend, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, so I, whenever they mention that there's other Candyman, I think when it mentions the, you know, Tony Todd's version, he, he speaks, you know, one of his lines. And so his voice is in there. So what you're saying is he's part of the Candyman verse. Yes. <laughs> That's really what it is, yeah. to be honest. Uh, he was in a Scream TV series. Uh, played a part in Hellfest, which that's actually, I think, is a really underrated movie. It's about a slasher in a HHN-style theme park, a Halloween Horror Night-style theme park. And, of course, since these people are dying inside of, like, this place, it's like that. Nobody knows that they're dying because I don't like the whole that. point is to get scared, you know. No, I don't like that. I, I'm good. <laughs> uh, he was also with uh, Kane Hodder in the Victor Crowley series. He was in several of those. Uh, the Hatchet series is, I guess, officially what it's called. Uh, Requiem's another movie he did, West of Hell, which is kind of a cowboy weird west movie. 
uh, Night of the Living Dead remake from 1990, which is a damn good movie. <sighs> Don't uh, like that movie. <laughs> Uh, a new animated version of the movie set in New York called Night of the Living Dead, Darkest Dawn. He did voice work for that. Nice. Uh, he he was in the Final Destination series that we have mentioned that we'll have to cover at some point, but I don't know what season that would fall into. Uh, and he was in parts one, two, and five. Uh, funny thing about that was when he was talking about series that he's been in, he said that he appreciated that the Candyman series was at least tried to be different for the two movies he recognizes that are of the franchise, you know, leaving out the third. He said that another horror franchise I was in was kind of samey between movies, and then he kind of whispered Final Destination. So yeah. he, he <clears throat> And he's not wrong. They kind of were. Um, and he's done a shit ton of voice work because with a voice like his, yeah. why the hell wouldn't you? I mean, man has a voice, you know? Yeah. Uh, Michael Culkin plays Philip Purcell. He's kind of the, the collegiate douchebag that, uh, British collegiate oh, douchebag yeah. that kind of challenges. He's in Trevor's circle of friends. Fancy. Got the Trevor here in a minute. Yeah, he's so fancy. Um, uh, he was in Dorian Gray in 2009, Mortal Beloved, Cold and Dark, and Dot Kill. Um, and he's done a shit ton of he it's funny because he's he's played in a bunch of movies where he is a British lord which makes sense because <laughs> uh, he's got that look to him so. uh, yeah and I'm sorry there was a Dorian Gray movie <laughs> yeah that's what it said okay that is interesting <laughs> I only know Dorian Gray from Sabrina so I, I mean the story is really good but I've never actually I didn't realize there was a movie until I was looking up for this that's so. funny uh, we have uh, Mariana Elliott, who plays Clara. Um, we have uh, Casey Lemons, who plays Bernadette Walsh. Okay, question a- real quick. Hold on before you move on. For, uh, well, uh, for Bernadette. Is it Bernadette? I kept, I thought they were calling her Brenda. It's Bernadette is what the IMDb list No, has. and it is. Um, but did you, am I crazy? Did you hear Brenda or were you hearing Bernadette? Uh wasn't paying attention to that, okay. to be honest with you. Okay, I just, I wanted to see if I was crazy, because I kept trying to hear Bernadette, and I never did, so if anyone has some input on that, please tell me if I'm crazy. Um, Clara, by the way, is the one when that really, I love that scene at the beginning of it, when somebody is, uh, one of the college students is telling uh, Helen about uh, the Candyman story, Yeah, and uh, she's like that, that classic story of like the the greaser played by ted ramey uh, who plays billy uh i've got him listed too but like her and her boyfriend are like getting all romantic she's like i dare you to call the candy man and then of course he leaves after four goes downstairs to wait for her to get ready so and and chugs a beer and she says candy man one final time and then of course gets ganked or whatever so that's who clara is bernadette is um Another one is actually Helen's friend throughout the movie, the one that's trying to be her voice of conscience and, you know, or like, or at least reason and tell her that it's stupid for her to keep going like this gang controlled uh, project apartment building or whatever. And she's, I mean, she's right. She shouldn't be going there, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, Stanley DeSantis plays Dr. Burke. He's the douchebag that runs the mental asylum that Helen's in. And, um, I say douchebag. It's just in the sense that, like, I mean, he's technically doing his job in the movie, yeah. like, because mm-hmm. she looks insane. Like, nothing oh, she yeah. says makes any sense. Um, 
but he's also not friendly about it either. So he's he kind of gets comes off that way. He's a state uh, fucking asylum worker. Like yeah. they they're not paid to care. They're paid just to be there and they don't have the resources they need. They don't have the en- enough help, you know, and look at where they're at. He has vibes in the movie, though, and I don't know if he meant to do that or if that's me projecting that he abuses his position as, like, the head of that, like, you know, uh, floor, you know, hospital or whatever you want to call it because, like, he just sits there and it's just like, you know, um, well, this is what's going to happen. You fuck off, you know, but, I mean, this is what I I say goes. Well, do you think that you feel that way because a good chunk of those doctors are that way? Like, every time you hear about a doctor that has been removed, it's because they were that way. And then the next one takes over and you're hoping for better, but it's not better. Yeah. I think it's part of that. Knowing that he's one of those, uh, people who's like got to middle management, uh, you know, just to be, you know, uh, because he relishes the power, what little power it gives him. I mean, he doesn't have any, but he likes to, you know, ruin everybody's day because it just makes him feel a bit better. He just gives off that vibe that just, you know. Yeah. And he's only in the movie for like a minute, so. Yeah, well, she learns uh, him and she learns him good. She, yeah, she does. Or the Candyman does, depending well, yeah, on your point true. of view. Uh, but she summons him, so she does, technically. Yeah. Um, Xander Berkeley plays Trevor Lyle, who's the biggest asshole in the entire movie. Uh, cheating on his wife. Uh, uh, gaslights her at every opportunity. His hot uh, wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his hot wife. Let's not leave that out. Like, uh, Virginia Madsen's a looker. And, like, you know, and then, like, he... And I don't feel like the... I mean, she's younger, yes, but I yeah. don't feel like the one that he traded her out for was a... was. I don't think that... It was a downgrade, in my opinion. I'm just throwing it out there. No, I, it just gives <laughs> off... He gives off pedo vibes of... He's just banging the younger students, and he doesn't... I, I, forgot, I forgot about this. I read... Uh, and I and I'm sorry. I would give them credit if I remember. But I read somebody's like synopsis or breakdown of this movie, like their theoretical breakdown, and they had a good point. Trevor doesn't like Helen not because of her looks, but because she challenges him. And oh he yeah. Does, and he's one of those men who wants a subservient wife Ew. that will do whatever he says. <laughs> Bitch, bring it. That, no wonder he <laughs> likes white women. He would not do well with a Latina or any woman of color. So. Um, and that's the reason he goes for a college student that he knows is like, yeah. you know, looks up to him and would, you know, defers to him and that sort of thing. So, Ugh, but he did let that girl uh, paint the apartment pink. And what the fuck was that? Holy shit. Uh, that wasn't that Pepto Bismol color was atrocious. And I'll throw this out. I it almost looked like blood the way it had been splattered on the wall when she first came in there. Like, yeah. It, it it looked bad. Um, um, you know, it was part of it was the one of the biggest jump scares I had in that film. <laughs> was the paint yes paint? Ugh, pastels Ugh. oh my god okay uh i just thought it was it, it's awful the fact that she's only been in the hospital for a few months and he's already like moved oh no reverend and... correction a month oh yeah okay one a month, month. That's even 30 worse. days That's even and he's moving in but okay she's mad and I would be too. Okay, uh, this guy would not have lived. She was very polite to. Well, hold on, we'll get to that later. But anyways, um, <laughs> to be fair, he thought she was knucking futs and never coming back. She was not supposed to come back from that hospital, or that at is- least trial and everything else. And he had every right to one believe that she was a murderer, 
It's not cheat on her. He was already cheating on her, so he's fucking wrong for that. I'm I'm not taking that away. And but for I am, the gaslighting and everything else that he did. Yeah, yeah. everything else. Uh, she didn't know, so it's not like he turned her into that. But I'm just saying he had every right to be like, well, I fucking lost this one. I'm already fucking this one. Let's just make this happen. Because that other one, like, I w- even if she got off scot-free, I don't know that I'd want to be with that. Like, Oh, my God. Like, it looks so bad. You know? She was either going to not be able to stand trial because she was crazy or she was going to go to jail. Mm, I, yeah, I guess I guess I could see it that way. I'm just, like, I'm predisposed to hate the guy from just how he, I mean, we know how he is beforehand. Yes. It's like he has no ground to stand on. If he was the good husband before that, then hell yes. Move on with your oh, life, yeah. even if it's only been a month, because it looks like all intents and purposes, like, she you know, murdered that baby. Like yeah. there is no, I mean, there, the way that Katie man set her up in that moment. Yeah. There, there's no way that she doesn't look guilty. He um, thought he was getting off scot-free and he doesn't. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, I, there's people that actually doesn't like that ending. I hate, I love that ending. I'm sorry. Yeah. I do. I think, I think it's cool. Yeah. But, um, uh, anyway, Xander Berkeley was in Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Air Force One, Heat, Shanghai Noon, uh, Barbed Wire. Barbed Wire? What? Yep. No yep. way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Lockdown, The Dark and the Wicked, which is a actually a pretty decent movie um, on Netflix and those type places. Uh, Mommy Dearest. Mommy and- Dearest is what? what are he, he's old enough to be in that fucking film? Yeah, I feel like he was one of the brothers in that movie that, that does all the raping and stuff like that. I could be wrong. He could be somebody else, but I'm pretty sure. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Mommy Dearest is there? Wait, wait, Maybe wait. I'm thinking of a different movie. I, there, there's a there's a trauma movie called something like that where these two like redneck brothers like go around just uh, raping and and maybe. Hold on, I'm gonna. I'm now. I'm. I'm looking because Mommy Dearest was with. Was about that one actress. Um, I forget. What okay, you're right. Yes, the Joan Crawford movie. So you're right. He is in that. That was. That was 1981 when that came out. By the way. What? Nah. That's what it says. Yeah. I don't believe you. That movie looks so old. I know it, it does looks that say old, 1981. But... What the fuck? Who was he in this film? I wonder. I wonder if he was one of the kids I got his ass beat. Just he was kidding. he was probably one of the kids in that movie since it was nineteen eighty one. Well maybe not. No, no, he would have been because he was like thirty something in this thereabouts. Uh and this was in nineteen ninety three, so I mean that's like twelve years removed. I mean, he, he would have probably been like preteen or teenager in that movie. I wonder if he played the adult Christopher um, in Mommy Dearest at the very, very end where they're like, oh, it looks like she got away with the last word and her daughter's like, oh, so she, bitch, thought she did and that's when she wrote the story about her fucking evil-ass mom. That's that's probably what she's playing. Yeah, um, anyways. <clears throat> I'm probably thinking of Mother's Day or something like that. There's a weird trauma movie that's, that's like I was talking about. It's really fucked up. Uh, one of the main characters at the end of it, like, dies. I think my, actually the mother in the movie dies by having a uh, inflatable tit shoved in her mouth and she <laughs> chokes to death. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. It, that's that's kind of movie the it is. Fuck? Uh, synopsis. Fuck around and find out. Pretty much. When an upper-class white woman starts poking her nose in a poor black community in pursuit of a thesis paper, things go badly. 
She discovers that not all urban legends are myth and that bragging rights with your collegiate peers won't save you when the shit hits the proverbial fan. With a strong gothic love story, an examination of race disparities, and a hypnotizing performance by Tony Todd, you don't have to believe, just beware. Yep. That's normal attack lines. Love it. Uh, body count, six. They were meaningful, uh, though. They were meaningful. Yeah, every single one of them. I mean, it, he... The Candyman's not about body count in most of these movies. It's about uh, who is going to hurt the main protagonist the most in yeah. a lot of cases. Uh, Clara is kind of the story that sets up the Candyman. She's killed off screen. Um, Bernadette is killed by the Candyman off screen, uh, but they do show her body. She's been ripped to pieces. <gasps> and that's uh, that's right after Helen is laying there hearing her friend getting torn to pieces yeah. with a hook because she can't move. Um Dr. Burke is ripped to pieces with a hook to the back. Love it. Uh, and that's because uh, Helen summons the Candyman yes. specifically to get rid of him. She made good on her promise. She did. Um, the Candyman himself is burnt and then turned into bees. God. Well, what is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees. Not the bees. Ah! I'm losing my eyes. <laughs> Uh, Helen Lyle dies. Uh, I don't. This is terrible. I'm not. Shouldn't be laughing at this. <laughs> from injuries sustained in the fire. That they did some good damn makeup on her. They too. did. Looked, oh my god. It looked, it looked painful. And this is 1992. Yeah. Fucking yeah. impressive. Uh, Trevor Lyle is killed with a hook by Helen. She still looked hot too, even uh, with her fucking bald, burnt head. Yeah, the one thing they give crap about is the bald cap that she's got. And I get that to a certain extent, but still, they did a pretty good job making her, like, almost like, she's almost like a Cenobite from, like, you know, another one of Clive Barker's films, the Hellraiser series. She's kind of hot and kind of scary, and you're like, I I don't think I should be excited right now, but I am, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. (laughs) Quotes from the movie. Uh, Clara, have you ever heard of Candyman? Billy, no. Clara, well, his right hand is sawn off, and he's uh, and he has a hook jammed in the bloody stump. And if you look in the mirror and you say his name five times, he'll appear behind you, breathe down your neck. You want to try it? Who the fuck wants uh, to try that right before they're fucking gonna get laid? <laughs> oh, this is sexy. That is not hey, how you do foreplay. Hey, this is dumb white people shit. That's all I can tell you. When I watch that scene, I'm like, yep, they're yeah. white people would do this. She yep. was on some dumb shit for sure. <laughs> Uh, Candyman gets all the good lines in this movie. Uh, here's one of them. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now I must shed innocent blood. Come with me. I mean, that, that, and some of those lines are straight from Clive Barker's yeah. uh, short story. It's some good shit. It really is. Uh, another one from Candyman. Uh, the pain, I can assure you, will be exquisite. As for our deaths, there is nothing to fear. Our names will be written on a thousand walls. Our crimes told and retold by faithful believers. We shall die together in front of their very eyes and give them something to be haunted by. Come with me and be immortal. Yeah, those are like wedding vows. <laughs> well, it's, it is a gothic romance. Yes. Uh, Candyman narrating Helen's head. Why do you want to live? If you had learned just a little from me, you would not beg to live. I am rumor. It is a blessed condition, believe me, to be whispered about at street corners, to live in other people's dreams, but not to have to be. Do you understand? 
She doesn't. Um, she doesn't understand. <laughs> uh, she actually does. And I read the short story and she really understands it in the short story, but it has a way different ending than this movie does. Yeah. Uh, Jake referring to the boy whose crotch was hacked off by the candy man. This little, this little black kid, he just cracked me up in this scene. They found it floating in the toilet. Can't fix that. You're better off dead. <laughs> Pretty sure you can fix that. Uh, well, at the time, I don't think that the, uh, uh, oh God, what was the name of the, the uh, Bobbits? I don't think the Bobbits had happened at that point. Yeah. So. Um, what was I going to say too? He uses a hard R in this fucking... In this in this scene, well, prior to that, I should say. Uh, I I'm not going to say that. I I'm a white Southern man. I can't get by with. Oh that, no, so you can't you. say that. But yes, he, the, the, the 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 young boy of color. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me see. Hold on. God, it's been thirty years since thirty years almost to the day since Lorena Bobbitt sliced his thingy off. Holy crap. Okay. Uh, yeah, he started in Frank and Winnie after that. Oh my God! So it was 1993 then that the Bobbits had happened. So they or weren't Frank too... and Penis or something. It was Frank some and kind Ween. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if he. I wonder if he still had the stitches. Is that why they called it that? I don't know. I don't want to. I, I I can absolutely Google to find out because he did make a porn. No, don't do that. Yeah, you I'm not gonna yeah, do you that. Don't look at that. <laughs> No, I'm not going to. We probably ask uh, ask Donnie G though. <laughs> I bet you he'll do it. Uh, uh, this story was actually in the short story, but it was totally in different context. It wasn't like a little kid telling it, which the kid cracked me up. I love the way he described yeah. it. But in the story, it's like these two poor. The the story the original story uh, is set in like a British slum in like one of the cities uh, London or wherever you want it to be at I I, I don't know but uh, and there's like two just like broke like you know like poor women standing there talking Helen happens to be button her nose in like a different Helen but you know yeah. same character and uh, they're telling the story about how this uh, and kid you know who or and they say kid he was like in in the original story he was like 20 something years old but and they they say the um retarded yes um they said it not him <laughs> <laughs> that's how they say it that's what's what they say um but anyways they uh they mentioned that the kid that he he's got the mind of a four-year-old and his mother oh, left him alone okay. in the bathroom when they come back it's the same scenario so they took that from the story they yeah. just changed it you holy know? crap they actually made it a kid Ooh, that was crazy yeah um what do you think about the fact this is cutting into this a little bit of having the uh, gang member taking on the Candyman name that comes in and shows Helen that she's uh, fucked around and found out? Uh, what do you think about having him in there as like a red herring? I thought it was pretty good, actually. Yeah, I mean, when I saw it, I was like, I knew. Well, I I, had, I have never seen this movie all the way through. This is my first time seeing it all the way through, I believe. So I don't remember the scene previously, which is good. But I was looking at him. I was like, well, that's not him. What is he doing? I I was given. I just was under the impression that he's like, bitch, you need to get the fuck out of here. Like, you need to quit fucking around with what, you know, you don't know shit about. Um, I I, I couldn't make up what really was going on there, but he fucked her up. Yeah, it's well. I'll get into it when we discuss the movie, but I, I think that he had he was serving two purposes in that scene. Okay. So. 
uh, Candyman, your death will be a tale to frighten children to make lovers cling closer in the rapture. Come with me and be immortal. That's Clacy says, oh. let's be immortal. Okay. Uh, other taglines for this movie, Candyman, 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 don't say it again. Stupid. Yep. Too many Candymans. <laughs> yep. And from the chilling imagination of Clive Barker. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the other ones were better, but yeah, yeah whatever. So, movie discussion. We're finally to it. Visuals. They fucking knock it out of the park oh in this movie. God, for 1991, I was like, damn. They, like, th- like you can I feel like it's hard to make movies like that even nowadays using CGI. They fucking did it off of lighting and cameras. Lighting, cameras. Uh, they do several different things in the movie. It's not just the vis- It's not the prosthetics and stuff like that. Uh, they did a very good job of like uh, that, and somebody broke this down on like uh, like one of the special features. But I but I noticed it when I was watching the movie, and they just like kind of gave it a name. He that B- Bernard Rose or whatever did a very good job of like the showing like these geometric patterns all the yeah. time. These aerial shots, like it, you know, he oh, did yeah. that a lot. Um, the way that he filmed some of the scenes, like I love that scene in the parking garage with Tony Todd off in the distance and you can just see a silhouette. You can't make yeah. out his face. Uh, a lot of like, he really used the darkness to his benefit in the movie. Like, whoa, Reverend. Stuff. Whoa. Calm. Wow. No, yeah, I'm just no, kidding. <laughs> no, don't, don't go that way with it now. No, I'm yeah, they did good. Cause it actually wasn't even dark in that. It was um, just silhouetted so well. And I don't know if this is happy circumstances or if they, you know, made up like, because they actually did film in Cabrini Green. And Tony Todd mentions how they were legit. Uh, they had to have like security on hand because there was active gang members on the in the area where they were filming at. Oh, no, they uh, didn't actually, have the active. Gang, they actually have gang members in the film. They paid them. Yes. They bribed them to be able to film there in addition to that. No, that was their security. The gang members offered them protection in order to be in the film um so it's i mean so what i was going to say is just the nastiness the you know like the grimy look of the movie i don't know if that was them making up sound stages or if that was just them filming in that location and they but it it works is all i'm saying yeah um i i've what? Where is this supposed to be? I I know you mentioned the name of the projects, but uh, Chicago. Ch- oh, okay. We have projects yeah. out here. Um, well, not near where I live, but in the actual city, um, area. And because believe it or not, Donnie G, I don't live in the city. <laughs> 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 there is places out there out here that are not the city. The city. Ugh, I hate the city. But anyways, um, there's projects out there, and they're bad, but they're not this bad. And I and they're I was wondering, bad. yeah, I was wondering if like I'm like, is this real, um, or it, it was this made up? No, that place really existed that way, according to what Tony Todd way described it. And it has since been, it's funny because you know how in the movie, uh, one of the plot points is that Helen uh, mentions to Bernadette that she lives in a gentrified apartment building that used to be a project building. And she could tell because of the way that the, um, 
um, the, the medicine cabinet, the way it was fit in the walls, like you could actually look into the next apartment and everything. Yeah. And she has like the photos to compare Cabrini Green to her apartment building. Yeah. They actually did that with Cabrini Green. They demolished it and built like white people apartments there after this movie was filmed. Damn. That's the reason they couldn't in 1995 go back for the sequel and actually continue the movie in Chicago because they had already demolished uh, that apartment complex. Yeah. Hold on. Was the apartment... Wait, what apartment? Uh, Where did they... It just doesn't specify, like, how real it was. Hold on, it's I got I got something real quick. Um, One other thing I was going to say is that I love the visuals of like when Helen first gets into that apartment where somebody supposedly died. She's working her way back in the the back way. Bernadette's telling her, "Hurry up, we shouldn't even be here." Yeah. And Helen emerges, and there's that graffiti face of like the candy man, and she's Fucking emerging from his mouth. Love that face. Yeah, uh, that's actually from the short story as well. There's a uh, that's that that graffiti. The actual graffiti in general plays a bigger part in the in the original story, but uh, Helen keeps being drawn back to this image of the Candyman and and walking through the mouth. Uh, it's it's around a doorway, and like you know that image of the Candyman, and he is drastically different in the story than he is in in this movie. Yeah. Um, He's almost like a clownish character in the original Clive Barker. He's got waxy yellow skin. He's got uh, pale blue lips like somebody who's been dead for a while. His eyes have, like, red rims around them, like, you know, like he's, like, sick or something. Jaundice is almost what he sounds like. Yeah, and he's got patchwork clothing, which means that it's, like, you know, rags put together, basically, of different colors. Damn. and he's described as in the in the book as smelling like cotton candy. So he's almost like a weird clown, which creeps me out worse than the Candyman does in the movie. But <laughs> I, I don't like clowns, so there's that. Yeah. Um, uh, the bees still figure in in the same exact way they did in the movie, and that's another thing I was going to say about the visuals. That scene where Tony Todd opens up that and uh, the, his clothing is first of all they did a great job in like you know making him look like like he came from a different time period almost like he's too well dressed for the area that he's in obviously you can tell he came from like you know uh, uh more of an upper class from his from a different time yeah but when he opened when he opens up that coat and like his rib cage is exposed while it you know it kind of gross bloody the way it looks yeah and then the bees come out of it like you know it, it's it's very well done <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, not the bee! Oh, man. And then whenever they... He had to sit there with those in his mouth in those scenes where they're coming out of his mouth. Nucking fut. I don't give... I hope they paid him good. Uh, Virginia Madsen said that... Oh, get this. Virginia Madsen is is deathly allergic to bees. Oh, hell no. And by the way, she no. had she had to prove Bernard Rose or didn't believe her when she was hired on for the movie. He made her uh, pr- prove through a medical <gasps> exemption letter that she was allergic to bees. And even then, 
she still had to do the scenes. They just had to have somebody right immediately offset with an EpiPen waiting to jab her if she got stung. Well, I thought they didn't have stingers, but I guess anything's possible. Well, the thing is, is that the ones that fly do have stingers. And if you'll notice in some of those scenes with her and Tony Todd, the ones on her are just crawling. But okay. the ones around him are flying. And that he got true. stung a total of 27 times throughout the three movies. You know what? Fuck off. <laughs> nope. No and no. I'm not definitely allergic to bees. I am allergic, though. Uh, Noah thinks I just have normal reactions, and I'm like, I'm sorry, but when one leg swells three times the size of the other leg, you know, <laughs> it, that's an allergic reaction. That's not just some swelling from the location it was in, you know. But I digress. Uh, I, I love how no acting was involved on Virginia Madsen's part with the bees. She was like, mm, mm, mm. I was like, girl, I would have been the same way. She had her mouth tightly closed. That kiss, the way they filmed it was perfect because it yep. didn't require her to open her mouth. Oh my God. No, no. Um, and get this. And she was salty about this and I don't blame her. So she's allergic to bees anyways. Mm -hmm. She's filming the scene. She actually said that the way the bee handler made it, it, she felt comfortable. So that wasn't the problem, but this made, this was the problem. They put a bee net around her and Tony Todd so that the film crew didn't <gasps> have to be exposed to the bees. No. <laughs> you can catch and, me with the film crew. I'm not going to be in that net. <laughs> Fuck off. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, but anyways, the, the, you can tell those are live bees and it really adds to the scene. So yeah, I think, I think they did a good job with that, but oh my God, Tony Todd, you're fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he said that he, uh, he was a little salty about this. He said that the bees had a bigger trailer than he did during the filming of the movie. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's racist. <laughs> Uh, he said he went in there. The bee handler was like a very weird, like kind of a hippie like dude. He said that always? he started introducing like the bees. He was giving them names like that's, you know, that's Daniel over there. That's Josh. And he said, I thought it was really weird, but he said, I think that was a way to get me like to kind of laugh about the situation to get me more comfortable being around the bees. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I have to, I have to jump in real quick. I, I, for some reason, I keep getting thrown onto bee handler, TikTok on, well, TikTok. <laughs> and I, there's two I've people. I've seen the ones where they rescue the beehives from like weird places. Yes. I've seen those on there. Well, there's a woman that is just like, oh, I'm at one with the bees and this, oh, look at, there's the queen mother bee. We're just going to put her in this little net right here. And okay, we've got her captured. Now the other bees are going to follow and look at how calm and serene they are. And so that's all her videos are, is her calmly moving bees from one location to another. And then you get this couple that they're pulling off, you know, bee or uh, bricks you know, or roof shift. Uh, sh what do you call it? The roof <clears throat> shingles. Shingles, yeah. And all of a sudden, you see the bees all <laughs> over the place, okay? I mean, it's just fucking wild. <laughs> what is that? What is that? What is that? And they're over here trying to like, they're like, okay, like if we just stay calm, eventually the bees are going to calm down. But the bees start getting worse. They start fucking attacking the camera. They start attacking like houses nearby. And they're like, okay, when it gets this crazy, we have to kill the hive. Now they end up, they'll, they'll save the queen if they can find her. So they find the queen, they save her, but then they kill the rest of the hive because they're like, if we don't start killing this hive, they won't calm down. And then you do see the bee calm down and then there's people in the comments all of a sudden everybody's a bee expert well 
I've never seen Bee Lady have to kill any bees to get them to calm down. And they're like, yeah, she's only showing the content where they're not fucking acting wild. Yeah, she's not showing it. Yeah, I, I've seen one of the ones you're talking about where they would like, they would find them in these like places where they'd been attacking people like yes. near like stuff and they were like and and like there was eight or nine like you know tiktoks you know one after the other where they go in there and they first start like trying to pull them out and like they start and they even get inside their suit they've got the full suit oh, yeah. on and they said and they said i've just got stung four times yeah i gotta get out of here you yeah know, like. it gets fucking wild but anyways <laughs> and, but he was sitting there with those bees in his fucking mouth yeah now he's fucking wild dude I saw uh, that. I was did, like, what if they had stung his throat? <gasps> uh, I saw a TikTok earlier. This is related to this in a, in a bad way. Uh, it said creepy, horrific, uh, whatever. It was this dude with glasses standing there, and it wasn't a bee. I swear to God. They they put bee at the bottom, but that was not a bee. It looked like a hornet. Oh, Blew no, 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 no. his nostril, <laughs> and he was sitting there, and it never came back out. He was sitting there, like, gagging and trying to, like, no. and I'm just like, that is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. I don't want to know. That's, that's terrible. <laughs> At least with fuzzy honeybees, they're at least more docile than a fucking hornet. Yeah. You know? Oh, my God. I can't. <laughs> um, getting back to the visuals, <laughs> if we're going to get away from the bees for yeah. a second, the blood in this looked fucking disgusting. I it's will good. give them credit for yeah. that. Like most movies, you see the mm. blood. It's just uh, you've seen it a million times. It looks real in this movie. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it does. Pig's blood. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, that scene where she wakes up and she's like slathered in it and she, and there's the dead dog, which rut row warning. There yes, is a dead dog. I'm pretty movie. mad at you about that. Thanks for not warning me. <laughs> hey, they don't show the dog getting cut up. At least they that, show that you know? fucking head. Well, they show the aftermath, but yeah. they don't like, um, but then that scene later when she's forced in, which is the one time in the movie there's any boobage of any kind, and it's Virginia Madsen, and it's not bad, but she's covered in disgusting blood, so it's just like, okay, that, you know. That's not really true. Be... We, get some, we get some good boobage and nipple in the bathtub uh, when she's a released. Bit. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. It's enough to know but... that it's a real titty and it's real nice. Yeah, but you get a lot in that side shot when she's having to strip that's that true, yeah. or whatever. And it is that blood, it's caked on. It, it is gross. They did it a is, good job. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the bloody stump that we've already mentioned during the Candyman Day of the Dead. In this movie, at least, it's bloody. It looks like it was just flesh, freshly done. It like, was, it is ugh. gross. They did good sound effects with it, too, because it sounded sticky. And I don't know and how. It had, like, chunks of meat hanging yeah. off of it. Blech. Yeah, it was, it was gross. It was grody. <laughs> uh anything else you want to say about the visuals yeah i liked the lighting and i like kind of the back the black light lighting effect i think it really made the art look really good and pop yeah that's true the way that some of the especially toward the end when she sees like <clears> when <throat> she realizes she was his love you yeah know, and reincarnated the way that they have those scenes stand out and when she sees like and i like that's something else this goes in the story slightly but I like how they did his story in this. They didn't show you like they did in part two, straight up scenes of him. Get, they showed you the mural and they gave the sound effects and let your yeah. mind fill in like what happened to That's him. That's probably I love the best that. way. Yeah. Um, but besides the the lighting, is there anything else that stood out to you in the movie and uh, from what other than what we've already discussed? No, not not really. 
I, I think the story is the next thing we need to jump into, which we kind of discussed briefly, but... Good, um, good. Tony Todd describes this movie as the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. And he's not wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's literally a love story between, you know, <clears throat> the Candyman and Helen. Uh, she's in an abusive, uh, unloving relationship. Um, and she... And those scenes where she, I mean, seems to be mesmerized by the Candyman. Yeah. That's her. Uh, there's flashes, and she's almost remembering her previous life. Yeah. No, it's a really good story. I think that, especially given the times now, this is how you tell a story of, you know, racism. This is how you tell a story of oppression. Uh, you know, because... I like I'm going to sound so dumb right now but some of these scenes made me cry. I felt so bad like and I felt so bad for the candy man. I'm like you understand why he turned the way he did. You not just I mean it's Tony Todd's acting too but not yeah. just from like his acting the way they reveal it is for sure it's, oh, yeah. it's way unlike the new candy man where they basically just come out like I've said before. Yeah. Last 10 minutes white cops bad you know, kill black men, whatever. Yeah. They, 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 instead of telling, they show you in this movie. Like, yeah. You see it, you feel it. It makes more of an impact. Oh my God. Big time. And not only that, but like, okay. So Helen has the same thing. Spoiler alert. She kind of takes over the role of Candyman. Uh, he passed it on her. He wanted her to be Candyman with him, but that doesn't happen. She kind of becomes the next. And you know what? That's exactly what, what happened to Noah if he moved on that quickly from me or was cheating on me, you best believe your girl's coming back from the dead and I'm going to fuck him up. <laughs> um, here, this is this is a tangent, but it's related to that scene. Were you fine with the fact that his uh, college girlfriend or whatever she was at that point, fiance, she might have been fiance, I don't know, uh -huh. that she got off scot-free, that it was just, Trevor that that, or that got killed in that scene or um, were you? Yeah, you know what I was hoping for. I was hoping that uh, she would get blamed for his murder. That's a good point. She had a and fucking knife have, in her she hand. She would have because she had the knife in her yeah. hand. She had cut her. Mm. They even showed her cutting herself, so yes. there been blood on the blade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Um. And then not only that, but imagine she goes and runs up to him. She's hugging him. I wouldn't hug if my husband was slaughtered like that i'd be fucking terrified I'd be like oh my god the murderer is probably still here let me get out with my fucking kids sounds terrible but i'm sorry i'm not gonna immediately run to hug my husband after he's been brutally murdered especially as many times as i said i would cut him uh i'm gonna be i'm gonna be questioned they're gonna have me in a questioning room and i don't blame them but i'm letting you know right now i didn't do it so we have uh, audio yes. records of you saying that you would stab your husband. There is, I mean, the Scooby gang for sure be like, look, man, so many times she has said she would definitely cut him. Was he cheating on her? Like, oh, he was cheating on her? Oh, she found out. And I'll be like, what? He was cheating? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. No, Um. yeah, I, that's what I was thinking. I was like, uh, yeah, I mean... I guess she technically could have got after her, but I was just like, ooh, this bitch is going to get blamed for the crime, and she's going to have to go through what, you know, what's-her-name did. Helen had to go through, and I'm like, ooh, the cycle repeats. I never thought about that. That's uh, that's that's evil, but that's smart. Well, that's how I think, so, you know. 
well, I was going to say something that probably sound misogynistic. I was just say, well, that's might be how women think. I don't know, but you know, <laughs> they're smarter than men. They wouldn't know how to set this up better than us. Yeah. Although I'll give the Candyman credit. He set her up damn well in the story. Like he hypnotizes yeah. her in one scene and she wakes up and there's no getting out of that. Everything in that looks like she's guilty from the, you know, Oh yeah. 100%. That's why when, <laughs> when, you know, her husband moved in the new girlfriend, I'm like, well, she, it looks really bad. <laughs> it looks bad. And like, he don't want to be lonely. He's wanting to keep his dick wet. You know, <laughs> that's all men think about sometimes, especially this dick, you know? Um, uh, yeah, him for sure. Yeah. Uh, and him giving her the side eye, getting that, that girl the side eye right in front of Helen when she first comes to visit yeah. him. And the class, oh, man. Like, right from the get-go, you see what a scumbag he is. I, You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, apparently, I missed that. So, also, where what college has fucking high school bells go off when class is over? Mm, I don't know what, what maybe maybe they do there in, in Chicago. I don't know. Uh, I'm just, like, is this a high school or is this? And they have lockers too. Colleges don't have lockers. Uh, that's true. Um, let, let's just say it was a college though, because that's even worse if that was a high school girl. Oh no no no! It was, yeah, they were smoking in a fucking break room, so definitely yeah, well, a college. That's another thing. They're smoking like every two seconds. Of this yeah, movie. it's kind of so. funny actually. Um, one thing that I think the movie does that the book also does, but in a different, uh, slightly different ways is shows like so, how people from like, you know, higher classes do not understand the struggles of the people like in the, in, like, you know, in, of the poor in particular. And they fucking like through good intentions or whatever, they just fuck shit up. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, I feel like unfortunately <laughs> it's a white person thing and I don't, mean that but i do um <laughs> well i would agree with you in the sense that it is but coming from a poor appalachia like i mean uh, there isn't anybody around here that fits the description of that rich yeah. white person that comes like oh, nobody yeah. gives, nobody gives a shit it's like you're living in poverty that's you know whatever well Go. reverend no one's going to be more racist to their own race than their own race. So in this That's case, true. white people, <laughs> r- let's say higher class white people don't want to come to the your area because they're thinking fucking te- Texas Chainsaw Massacre bullshit. <laughs> it's probably what they're thinking. Uh, you know, I'm thinking the same thing when I'm coming into neighborhoods out in my area. We have a we have a town called Loomis. They are real backwood. OK, for California anyways. Um and there are some parts of Loomis that I have delivered for Amazon, and I wanted to get the fuck out of there. Sketch as fuck. Okay, now I am not white. I'm Mexican. But also, people of color try to make better decisions. Uh, you know, like the movie The Blackening. Y- y- we want to live. So <laughs> there's that. There's also na- other neighborhoods, like there's Mexican neighborhoods that I don't want to go into because they know I'm not one of them. You know? <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, though, it's not as bad here, though. I mean, even like... You, you, there's a few places, you know, there's like drugs or mm. there's like something going Every on place where you can is get like shot. That. So yeah. you stay out of it. What? But... In Appalachia? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like what kind not... of shot? Like shotgun shot? Um, gangster shot? Uh, you're probably going to get shot with a uh, rifle or a shotgun of some kind. Yeah. For and, fun and... or because you entered property or what's because the Because you got in the shit you shouldn't have been in. Okay. You might have saw mm. the pot 
patch that somebody had. Uh, you might have seen some meth being cooked that should okay. have been, you know, uh, or you were just in somebody's area and they told they posted the signs. Keep yeah. the fuck out, and, and you, didn't. you didn't. So Jesus Christ, um, um, we have right behind my work because my work is in the city, Donnie G. Um, <laughs> and the, we had some Mexican Americans right behind us. <laughs> And their trailer, like on a public street. Now, by the way, nicely taken care of public street. Okay. Like it is, there's poor people, but I don't know why this particular area, like, I don't know the people who live on there with their trailers, they're, they're not making it look too trashy, but their trailers look like trash. But anyways, these Mexican Americans, uh, definitely, uh, meth their trailer up. It blew up. I have a picture. I'm gonna have to send it to you in the Scooby gang. That's that's happened a few times yeah. around here. So. so no, yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like in this movie, watching the this with a black woman. Okay, so this is my oh yeah, this is my friend Brenda. She's black. No, why is the black woman? I mean, like like I said, her name was not Brenda, but I and kept Bernadette, hearing yeah. Bernadette. I kept hearing Brenda, but I was like, why is the black girl always named Brenda? <laughs> Well, it was close, so yeah. you're not wrong. I swear to God, I'm going to go watch it again. I swear they were saying Brenda. But anyways, going back to uh, fucking white people walking in, thinking that they can sweet talk their way into the ghetto. You can't. You fucking can't. At least if I go out to ghetto areas and I'm delivering, I can pretend that I'm one of them. Not so much black, but from the hood. I... Um. That's that's a rich white person problem. That is it not is. a poor white person problem. Because poor white people realize you don't go fucking around in the Mm-mm. neighborhood. You just don't. Yeah. And I'm just like, this bitch. Oh, wait, I just got to take a couple more photos. You are not one of them. You are not cool. This is not Dangerous Minds, okay? Um, The story's interesting in the sense that it is a white poor white neighborhood in the ghetto or whatever of the yeah. city. And it's a rich white woman going in there or college. I mean, she's well off. So, yeah. um, and it's a little bit different in the sense that there's not the race, racial tensions, but there is that sense of like, well, uh, I'm, I know better. So, and I can help you that. Yeah. Sort of thing. And like the people in the area are like, you don't know what it's like fucking here. And, and they, and they make it, he makes a good point. Clyde Barker does in the story about how there's these, and, and I think they mention it in the movie too, uh, in a different sense, there's all these deaths going on in this poor white neighborhood in the story that none of the rich white people have never heard of. They're like, I didn't read about that. In the yeah. Paper. And it's like, yeah. Cause, uh, you focus on different newspapers, uh, the area where, I mean, it's not your problem. So you ignore it, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. It, it, it's a very good commentary on class division. And in the movie, it's the same way, but in a racial, you know, uh, strife or whatever, in the sense that like, it's like, you know, you got these rich white people sitting around this table talking about their thesis or whatever. Oh yeah. Uh, totally ignoring the fact that they're, they're joking about the fact that somebody died in this, you know, apartment building. Like yeah. that's the whole reason she's there. Like somebody straight up died and they're like, yeah, but the candy man, it's like, you know, it's like, I mean, there, there's a lot of commentary to unpack in that, like that whole thing. I mean, when you get right down to it. Now that you just said the candy man, I have to ask a question because I entirely missed it in the movie at some point. Don't know how, but what was the situation with the candy? I don't feel like I've got that part of the story. 
<clears throat> the Candyman, and and I I got more of this. I don't know if this is in the movie or maybe I, I missed it. It's in the story for sure. Okay. Uh, they offer, and I think there's a scene where she does this, where she goes and there's like in uh, all this graffiti around, trash everywhere. There is an offering of candy yes. and razor blades. Yes. You know, that is what they offer the candy man, like to appease him. Okay. Because they know he exists. They have to acknowledge his existence and they have to give him sacrifices because if they don't, this is both in the story and in the movie. Yeah. He will bring hell on them. Uh, here's and... a beautiful white woman. <laughs> <laughs> so they they know that they have to believe in him and they have to show him his proper reverence in order to keep him happy. And that's the same in the book and in the movie. Okay. And, this, and, and the problem is when this rich white woman comes into the situation, she doubts his existence and that pisses him off and that makes everybody in the, the ghetto in both the story and the movie have to fucking walk on edge because they could be attacked because he's mad at her. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like, I feel like that's the only part of the movie that was lacking is the candy part. Yes, they showed it, but I'm like, okay, but what's the meaning of life? <laughs> but they, they also hint that the reason to call him the candy man is, uh, the, you know, and this might be more of the second movie I'm remembering where they, sm but they do mention it because the, the, the one guy, um, the, the rich British asshole or mm -hmm. whatever, he mentions the story. They smeared a uh, robotized body in, in honey. Yeah. And he was, and they gave him the nickname, the candy man, because he was sweet at that point, mm. you know, whenever he was dying. Okay. Yeah. That's how he got his name because of the wet, brutal way in which he was killed. They smothered him in, in honey. Uh, he was stung like horribly yeah. uh, on top of the fact he was losing blood out of his arm hook or whatever uh he was stung to death like multiple times because of the bees that had you know attacked him so <laughs> well, what is that what is that <laughs> <laughs> not the eyes not the eyes good god um but that's how he got the name now as far as like how it factored in other than the offering they gave him that's the only thing and i don't know if they really specify that that much in the movie yeah um one thing i did notice between the book and the movie that's interesting they're complicit at the end in the book when they know that the only way they can make the candy man happy is to give him their, his sacrifice. And he wants Helen and there's not the, she's not reincarnated or anything. It's just, <laughs> that's his chosen target because she pissed him off. Yeah. And so when they make the bonfire at the end of the book, it's almost, and it's funny because it's almost like the legit wicker man in yeah. the sense that, they throw her into the, the wicker man, as it were, or the, the pile of garbage that they've stacked up, and they set her on fire so that she can be sacrificed to the candy man. In the movie, they're trying to kill the candy man because they know he's in the fire. Yeah. So that's the difference, you know. Yeah. You know what? It's weird, though, because the, another thing I didn't like, and I was like, dude, we're, we're totally past this. Like, get over yourself. And I'm talking to the candy man himself. But is that she does believe in him at some point. He's like, you're doubting me. And it's like, bitch, no, I'm not. Like, seriously, <laughs> I, I called you. I called you to help me. Or no, not so much to help, but, you know, he did help her. And she, at that point, she's not. she is not even doubting him, not even after seeing on camera that he allegedly wasn't there while she was screaming for help at the asylum. She's like, that's weird. I could have sworn he was there. And she's like, I know he's there. I can prove it. And he's still like, mm, you doubted me. It's like, quit being. Well, 
But at the same time, if he is able to take her out in a very uh, uh, fantastical or with flair type way, yeah, then the rumors of that, just like he says, will make his legend even stronger and make her a legend at the same time. And when it's revealed later that she's like the reincarnation of his love to begin with, then you kind of get more of an emphasis of why, even after the point that he realized she was believing in him, yeah. he still wanted her to join him because he was getting back what he had lost at that yeah, point. He was know? horny. <laughs> well, I mean, he does give her the kiss, you know, with the bees and everything. Blech. So <laughs> I was waiting. I was just waiting for you to play it. <laughs> What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the beast. <laughs> uh, now I kind of wish there was an edit of the movie where Nick Cage pops in and says that every time the bees show up. Oh, my but, God. You know. Not the bees. We could probably the Mystery Science Theater 3000 it and do that, you know? <laughs> um, But it really, actually, getting back to the story part of it, it's they actually sell that pretty well that they are attracted to each other. Like when she looks yeah. at him and, and everything, there is, there's chemistry there. She's got the low lovey eyes. Uh, speaking of that, they actually hypnotized her for those scenes. What? That's fucking legit. And she started losing her fucking memory. Oh no. Fuck that. Did she they hypnotize her for the bee? They should have hypnotized her for the bee, uh, the bee section, you know, where she actually had to have the bees on her. You know those scenes where it would, like, zoom in on her and, like, it would kind of just have her eyes lit up, you know? And that's another good thing, going back to the visuals. I love those scenes. Like, there's one scene toward the end of the movie that they light up her face. She looks like a fucking starlet from my oh, old, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like, it's just, movie or something. They did it to Morticia Adams, too, or to what's-her-name, who played Morticia. Yes, yes. Angelica Houston, you're talking yep. about, the way they lit her face up. Mm -hmm. But they do that. When they do those scenes, look at Virginia Madsen's eyes, if you ever watch this again. She looks almost like she's stoned. That's because that's right after she was hypnotized. Legit, like hypnotized. Wow. I thought they were just low levy eyes. And I'm like, look at this bitch acting her ass off. Uh, and she said that she started to really lose her memory. And she said, I will never repeat, never do this again for another film. Wow. And she, and this is after she said, so she's never really been able to do meditation. This is her words from like, you know, the, you know, behind the scenes. So she thought that she was one of those people that couldn't be hypnotized. Yeah. They went in there and had her meet with a hypnotist. And she said, she remembers it was the creepiest thing. She looked over and she had her arm up in kind of like this L shape. And she said, I have no memory of how my arm got there. Damn. And so they were legit hypnotizing her every Yeesh. time. Don't like it. I don't like it at all. <laughs> I just, uh, that's, that's given a lot. I mean, between mm. agreeing to cover yourself in bees when you're allergic to them and Tony Todd agreeing to do it too, even if he wasn't allergic and then being legit hypnotized, they fucking gave for this movie. Like, yeah, they, they gave did. a lot. Definitely. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the I think that's the the best part about this movie is the interaction between her and him. Like there is definite chemistry between the protagonist and the antagonist in the movie. Yeah. Um and then uh I just she's acting her ass off in the scenes where she legit is trying to convince people she's not crazy, but to all onlookers she is. Like props to Virginia Madsen even Tony Todd said it said she was phenomenal in that part and she yeah was. I think it's funny because a lot of it just seemed so natural which is good that's how you want it to look because 
even in the film, she's... What's the word I'm looking for? It's almost, I guess, in a woke way, it would be described as white privilege, where it's like, you know, where she's... when she's, Here, I'll give you an example. She's covered in blood, and she's like, well, can't I just talk to doctors? She thinks that she has this privilege to be able to where talk to them. Where she can do whatever she wants. Yeah. Like, the same thing with the police. I, I'm glad you said that, because I thought the same exact thing. Uh, I mean, in this, I guess being a poor white person, I never assumed this, but like she's sitting there and she's like, I want to speak to the police. I want to explain myself. And I'm like, bitch, they're, they've got their mind made yeah. up. They don't care, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I didn't grow up in any kind of oppressive way that I feel like I would, but I also would be like, okay, listen to the fucking police, you know? Yeah, they're they're not going to take your word for it. I mean, look at the evidence. You were covered in blood. You had a meat cleaver that you had just hit the woman with yeah. after her baby was this it was gone like what you have no excuse for this yeah Ooh, no explanation <laughs> um we've already said it there is not i can't think of a except for the little black kid and he was hilarious because i mean and he was doing his best yeah he's the only bad acting in the movie to me yeah, but I think that it was such a minor type of a role that I still think that when he was useful, and I don't, I wouldn't have. I get, you can consider it the worst, but he didn't have to do anything, you know. The one other person that I, th- yeah, I agree with you on all that. He didn't have to do a whole lot, so it's not really that big of a deal. Um, the one other person in the movie that I thought maybe, I mean, you could say probably that Ted Ramey's character and then Clara or whatever, Billy and Clara, but they were supposed to be like grandiose like store a story that somebody was telling so they were supposed to overact yeah uh the only other person in the movie that seemed like they were not they were underacting uh or a little flat was Anne marie you know the the black lady whose you know baby is stolen or whatever in the yeah. movie um she when she's first talking and she's trying to be sociable with Helen when she's first there, she seems like she's a little like wooden way she's saying, but it didn't come off as bad acting to me. It came off as somebody who's like not, not overly educated. I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like when you talk to some people, like they're, they're kind of self-conscious around others when they speak, cause they know that they don't speak that well. You know, if you understand what I'm saying Yeah. and she can, and it came off more like that, you know, than it did like that. She was not acting in that scene. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think when I think of her acting, I, because when she's screaming later, she's really giving it oh, all, yeah. like, she about is, the baby and everything. When she's talking, though, like, when she first kind of is is really defensive, I think she's doing a good job. Usually they're a little bit more ghetto, um, but maybe her as a person isn't like that, and you don't want to tell a black person to act more black. Oh, we've already discussed yeah. that on the Nightmare on Elm Street part and so, four. So. I feel like deep down she's just <laughs> – because people don't think that black people are scared to live in their own neighborhoods, and they are. She gave me the impression that she is a poor black woman. They can't get out of the situation yes. and scared to death for her children. Exactly, and scared to death for herself. She lives in a terrible, terrible place. And she even apologizes and says, I'm sorry, but most white people that come through here aren't handshaky. She legitimately said that. You know, they just want to go in there and judge or maybe, you know, talk down to them, which is pretty fucking bold to do in a place like that that is fucking manned by gang members, you know. (laughs) And I thought it was pretty genuine to see that side of that community. And she says also, we are not like the assholes that live downstairs. Um, 
you know, to kind of show like, hey, you know, we're, 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 some of us are here just doing the best that we can. And it's funny because my fucking brown privileged ass is over here like, ooh, why not just get yourself out of that situation, you know? <laughs> um, Which, by the way, hold on, I got to say one more thing, too. Why the fuck was her baby alone when she came home at 10 p.m.? It's a bad neighborhood. That's it is, yeah. <laughs> she didn't have anyone to watch the baby, so she fucking left the baby alone while she was at work or doing whatever the fuck she was doing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I First of all, I mean, I watch these type things, and I don't know how somebody can stand to live in that situation. I mean, it's bad enough when you're in, like, I mean, the country and, like, you're, you've are you got a rusty, broken-down trailer and all that stuff, but there's a difference whenever it's, like, I mean, you can have a bunch of shit out in your yard, and I've seen houses like that, and it's yeah. junky, but it's mm-hmm. a different type of junky. This, when you see, like, the squalor and, like, some of these projects and stuff, I mean, it's, like, how do people fucking live in these places? Yeah, like, you it's know. sad, and I'm, like, I, I, so a lot of them work, um, which is sad because when I did my Amazon deliveries, it's very rare I had to deliver on the projects. But when I did, um, thankfully, Amazon had me doing it during the day. <laughs> but um, it looks just like, I mean, besides the painting, these are the projects I went to weren't painted all over, but there's junk everywhere. But you legitimately, these people are working. I don't know how much they have to pay to live there, if they have to pay anything at all. Um, but you have to try to find a way to hide their package because you pretty much know, like I delivered packages and I saw immediately kids go, there was nowhere to hide it and kids go and just fucking steal it right yep. behind me. And I was like, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I, I took a picture of the package there. I'm sorry. It's not there when I came back or when you came home, I felt so bad, but it's bad. You know, I just, I mean, and, you know, Barker does a good job describing the white ghetto in, in the in his version of it because he talks about how because they were setting fires down the garbage chutes inside the building that the fire department had come in there and, like, actually shut all of them down. So yeah. they got, like, bags of trash and rats everywhere, yeah. you know, like. So it just, it's it's as scummy as you can think. And, yeah. I mean, and they, and they did a good job in the movie of depicting that yeah. uh, in a different context. One thing I was going to say in comparison between the movie and the book or the short story is that Anne-Marie in the short story starts out as somebody who is trying to extend the olive branch to Helen. But then whenever she sees that the candy man is demanding a sacrifice later on, she turns cold to Helen. And it's almost like one of those like H.P. Lovecraft stories where everybody in the town starts shunning Helen or in that community yeah. because they know that they can't associate with her because their lives are going to be worse because of it. Yeah. But not and I don't only fucking that, blame them. Yeah. You can't blame them. But not only that, um, there's a point toward the end of the story, the short story where Anne Marie in that one has, uh, her baby has had its throat slit <gasps> four hours before Helen shows up and she keeps Helen from coming inside and seeing the dead baby. But like, and, and Helen has nothing to do with it. There's not like in the movie where Helen gets framed for it. Yeah. Um, and Marie gets framed for it, but then they don't have any evidence to get out of it. And it turns out that uh, they, they have like a funeral. And, and this is a sad commentary by Clive Barker, but it's entirely justified. Uh, the proudest moment in Anne Marie's life is the, the attention that she gets over her dead baby. Oh, and she's like going through the funeral because she's a no nothing from a, you know, a poor area. Yeah. But like, 
the worst part of it is, is the casket didn't have uh, actually had a dog inside of it instead of of the actual baby because they left the baby inside of the room where the graffiti was done. You know, the Candyman's mouth, like in the movie you yeah. see. Helen keeps going back to that room. The dead baby's in the room because they left the baby as a sacrifice to the to the uh, Candyman. Damn. So. Anne Marie's complicit in her baby's death to appease the Candyman in the story, whereas in the movie she's an innocent bystander. And I was wanting to get your opinion on this: the one time in the movie where you don't feel as much sympathy for the Candyman is the fact he reneges on his promise to Helen. Oh yeah, she, he tells her, "If you will give your life up, I will free the child." And then when she comes to him and she offers her life up, and he starts to carry, they have that nice moment together where they're almost like, and there's an extended cut actually of them doing ballet dancing. Like the director had the two of them actually go yeah. and take dancing classes together, you know, to, you know, cement their chemistry and everything. Uh, they have this big long ba- uh, ballroom dance actually in inside that ghetto. And then he picks her up in his arms and he's supposed to be carrying her off, but then he's, you know, he's getting ready to go kill the child anyways. Yeah. And that's when she makes the turn. She's like, you didn't do what you promised. You know? Yeah. I didn't know how you felt about that because that's the one moment where the Candyman loses your sympathy because yeah. he, he's, he's, he doesn't honor what he says. Yeah, that was where, yeah, I, I would say that was definitely a turn for me where I was like, what the fuck? You can't do that. That's Indian giving. <laughs> Just use another turn. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I don't know that I can get by with saying that. Oh, my uh, God. Not that I've not said that before in the past, but that's frowned upon. Oh, so, my God. You know. I know. You can't say that nowadays. Um, yeah, that kind of <laughs> upset me. Uh, what kind of a fucking name is Anne-Marie for a black girl? Oh, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> it Actually, it's a good name if it was set in Louisiana like the second movie. I could see that name being, uh, you know, the name of somebody in Louisiana, not in Chicago. I Maybe don't. something French with Marie... You know, Anne Marie is not a French name. Now, maybe something like, I don't know. I can't think of a French name. They something just al- took it straight from the short story. So, I mean, that's probably why. Yeah, but. I'm like, that's not a that's not a name that you give a sister in the hood. And I'm not saying it has to be something like Bonquiqui or anything like that. But I don't know. Even like a Jessica Marie would be better than Anne Marie. Anne Marie is such a white name, and it could be white trash. It could be white class, any kind of white, but it's not a, I don't, I don't, I have never, and I'm, I don't know every black person in the world, but I have lived in a black neighborhood, and I have never met an Anne, let alone Anne Marie. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I could see it more in like a poor white neighborhood than I could in a, yeah. in a, in a black community for sure. I don't know. That that threw me off. I'm like, Anne Marie, and I mean, I don't know. She was really, really nice though. That poor girl. Ish. Yeah. I had um, sympathy for her for sure. And even she was like the baby. The baby's all I got. And then that scene at the end, it's it's really, I mean, where she's staring into the fire and she doesn't know that Helen's in there with her baby. Yeah. But that look on her face of just like total devastation. Like yeah. She sells that. She sells that Oh, scene. totally. She is not alive in that scene. Like you could just, she's dead behind her eyes. Yeah, and then when she sees her baby, when she comes back, that's what I'm saying. I don't think it was the actress having any kind of, like, bad acting. I think that actually sold, like, it was a it was a choice, and, it, and for a reason when she was, like, kind of being flat whenever she was speaking to Helen as if she, you know, like we've already discussed. I don't, I don't think that was her as a bad, you know, actually yeah. acting poorly. It was, you know, part of the character. But um, the only thing I was going to say 
um, story-wise, going back to it, is that I appreciate the fact in the movie the Candyman doesn't bring up any kind of uh, race relationship on his own. The story sells it around him. It does. It does. It, it was very briefly mentioned that, you know, uh, he had gotten a white woman pregnant. He fell in love with a white woman. She had gotten pregnant. Uh, you know, the only thing I kind of wish is that they discussed a little bit of what happened to her. Did she have the that's, baby? What happened to the baby? That's you true. Know. I mean, uh, the second movie kind of hints that the baby was accepted because it ended up white. Because, oh, God. The, you know, but, yeah, that's... They don't really hint at it in the first movie. Uh, you're right about that. That is some and, Meghan Markle and Harry bullshit right there. <laughs> what color is the baby going to be? Shut up. The uh, the other thing I was going to say is that I appreciate the way they tell his story, not just in the mural, the way yeah. we talked about earlier. The When they have the, the British asshole tell yes. the story, I love that. It's like a ghost story, you know, around a campfire. But oh, yeah. Like this rich, you know, like restaurant, you know, or whatever. It It's, you know, it's just, it's. It goes back to the theme of the movie about, like, you know, uh, urban legends. The way that he tells the story of the Candyman, it, it fits, you know. Yeah. So. All I know is that, for some reason, the movie made me very emotional. And I felt <laughs> so bad because that really was the plight of black people back then, you know. Yeah. And, well, and it brings up a lot of modern stuff, too, or at least for the 1990s, which yeah. probably still applies. I mean, there's not that much really changed, sadly, in, in, in a lot of cases. But, I mean, um it, it 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 makes a commentary without beating you over the head with it. I mean it, and I and it wraps it around the gothic romance, which I, I think is amazing. I think they did a good job with it. So, and then the music. I mean that ties in too. The music's fucking amazing. Yeah, I don't think there was one <laughs> tune of the time from this in this movie. The soundtrack didn't have any songs from that era. It, it was original soundtrack, correct? Original soundtrack, and it was like this sweeping orchestra type. Oh, my God. Know, score. Like I said, hauntingly beautiful, gothically beautiful. Uh, they used, it feels like the same song mostly over and over, and it worked so good. The background music, any noises that were made for jump scares, everything was, it was beautiful, and it worked so well. It did not take away from what this movie is supposed to be, which is a horror film. It added to the theme, and even the people who made the movie admitted that they said this movie wouldn't be what it was without that that score by oh, Philip yeah. Glass. Oh, yeah, absolutely not. Um, funny you say that about the jump scares. The one thing that they mentioned in the behind the scenes, uh, this was by Virginia Madsen herself. You know the scene where she's, like, in the apartment by herself, and then all of a sudden the, the Candyman's hook yeah. bursts through the medicine? and like She was really scared in that scene. That's she awesome. Legit, she legit ran off set because they didn't tell her they were doing that. And she said that Tony Todd is like kind of like Robert in the sense that, you know, Robert England in the sense he's a big softy. Yeah. Um, he came to her and he, he, he said, I am so sorry I did that. He, <laughs> she said he was almost in tears. She's like, I didn't mean to scare you like that. And it's like, and you know, when they talked about it and it was fine, but like it was a, and the him and the, the director, Tony Todd and the director, argued back and forth way up to the actual <laughs> day that they filmed the scene, whether or not they should do that. 
and Tony Todd thought it was in poor taste not to tell her about it, but they did it anyways, and that that's kind of how it played out. So. Okay, look, I'm for hire if you want to put me in a horror <laughs> film, and I am giving you absolute permission to jump scare the heck out of me. I am not for hire for any zombie films, though. So unless you want to see me a puddle on the floor, and that's all you want, and I'm dying three seconds into the film, then I'm fire for a zombie film. I just want you to know I will actually die on your set, though, and then I'll be haunting it. <laughs> It'll be cursed. Um, uh, before we get to the Death Holler Awards, I've got a little bit of trivia. Is there anything else you want to talk about the movies before we move ahead? There's not much trivia, sadly, other than what I've already said. So, um, I do want to say something uh, is that, and I am. this is me admitting this <laughs> this movie was so good to me, and I enjoyed it so much. And yes, this is on the rewatch list for the rest of my life. But it was so good to me, I couldn't bring myself to watch the second one. And did I did I miss out big? Is the second one as good or even close to? Okay, so did you I do didn't myself miss just... out a damn thing? This okay. is one of those times where they got light in a bottle. They had the perfect cast. They had the perfect story, perfectly shot. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, this th- this movie should have been a one and done. Yeah, and I think it, I think everybody agrees that that was involved in it. Okay, honestly. because where I'm at to w- when I watched this all the way through, I was so shook over what I had just watched that I was like, I'm afraid watching the second one is going to ruin what I just witnessed. Here's what I did: I watched part two. Mm-hmm. And then I watched part one, and then I watched part three. I was on my phone during part three. Okay. That's the only way I could handle watching it. Uh, Part two was fine. uh, But then when I went back and watched part one again, I was like, this is a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. And that's, this is all I really, I'm glad that the best edition of any of these movies I have is part one. Like I got this tricked out, like arrow limited edition set. Like it's it's what the movie deserves because it's it's fucking great. Yeah. So I definitely didn't watch part two. I don't care if you spoil it or not. Um, I just don't have plans on doing it. Yeah, I'll talk about it. But uh, to me, what's funny about part two, you know how whenever you tell a story and it's got that that phone effect or whatever, like the phone game effect where it gets changed a little bit each time? Yeah. That's what what happens in these movies. Okay. but and you see it in part two. It's like his 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 origin changes a little bit. The way that he interacts changes just a little bit. Tony Tony Todd keeps it the same as much as he can. But even he admitted in the behind the scenes, if he would have been a bigger actor and knowing what he knows now, he would have demanded that they kept more continuity between these movies. Yeah, poor guy. Because yeah, even Freddie Krueger, Frederick, he wasn't was even able to kind of modify the films to his you know acting abilities. Yeah. Yeah, and, and kind of keep things within a certain range. Like, I mean, he would make comments if they were getting too far outside of what Freddie's history would have, you know, said. But yeah. Tony Todd didn't have any say-so. They If they wanted to change something, they changed it. Um, but, um, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's a great fucking movie, and I love it. <laughs> oh, God. Um as far as the trivia goes, uh, like we've already said, the bees were bred specifically for this movie. Well, what is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees! Uh, 
they had to make sure now this says 12 hours old i've heard on the thing they mentioned 24 it's somewhere in that range but they had to be like baby bees so that they they were all they were large enough they looked like mature bees but they had stingers okay Um, allegedly well if they had a stinger it it was barely enough to even poke the skin at that point okay And uh, uh, the exterior hallway and stairway scenes were actually filmed for a few days in the infamous Cabrini Green housing projects, though the producers had to make a deal with the ruling gang members to put them in the movie as extras to ensure the cast and crew's safety. Wow. Uh, even with this arrangement, a sniper put a bullet through the production van on the day, last day of filming, though no one was injured. What the fuck? Why would they do that? Tony Todd, I mean, he was he straight up mentioned. He said it was... They, everybody was nervous that they, when they, even him, I mean, obviously he's from like Connecticut or something. So he's, he's not one of the locals. So even if he is of the same race, he's not accepted by them. And, and, you know, he mentioned in the thing that he grew up poor, but he was one of those situations. And I feel like I was in this situation. He grew up poor, but he didn't feel poor, which is, oh yeah, you're, you've got a good family when they make you feel like you're not poor in your in that situation yeah so, but uh but he did grow up poor so he could empathize with the situation they were in but he didn't grow up in in the same he didn't grow up in the ghetto like this so mm-hmm. and you know obviously he's very well educated i mean when you hear him talk in the movie he can enunciate better than I mean, oh yeah definitely better than me but i mean like you know better than uh, i mean he's very well educated theatrical so i'm sure for him even if he was you know empathetic to you know the people in the situation, he still was an outsider Mm-mm. to all that. It so. doesn't matter if you're empathetic to it or not. In fact, if you are empathetic <laughs> to it, you are definitely not one of them. They don't want you to feel bad for them. They want you to be down with them. Yeah, that's you know? true. So, um, and that's the, I mean, and that's, this is coming from how I feel about, you know, the Latino community, the well, the poor Latino community, which my parents, they Think, well, they, they they were poor, poor when I was born, but then they, they, they did fine. I've never seen poor like white people poor. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've seen white people poor and like, I, like my husband, it was, it was bad. Like my dad thinks that he grew up privileged and he grew up way more poor than I allegedly did. I did not. I'm here to tell everyone I did not grow up poor. So, not that I remember anyway, so. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the, I mean, there, there was a thing a few years back talking about how the air, the counties that, you know, and surrounding counties and the county I lived in were uh, the absolute poorest in the, the whole United States. So, I was poor in a poor night in a poor area. So, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I definitely, I mean, but I didn't. I didn't feel like well, we never wanted for anything. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, my parents told me if I got out and I was like, wanting every time I went to Walmart, uh, you know, I wanted that new Ninja Turtle figure or whatever. It's like, we can't get that. You yeah. Know? But I never, they, I always had Christmas presents. I always had, you know, whatever I want, you know, birthday presents. So I never, I mean, I'm like Tony Todd in the sense that I never failed. Yeah. It, you know? That's good. Yeah. It, even if it's, this and i've seen people in worse situations than that but i mean it's i I can't say that they were i mean that i was much better off than about anybody so um in slashers part one in 2018 tony todd said that he was stung by the bees 26 times during this what is that what is that what is it oh no not the bees 
I bet you he was saying that. Yeah, he was probably saying that since he was stung that many times. Um, I, man, he 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 put up with it, but I mean, he he put in such a fucking good job on this movie. I wonder if he was ever stung uh, on his mouth or tongue or anything like that. That's some bullshit. I don't think so because the bees in his mouth were, you could tell they were crawling. Yeah. It was the ones flying buzzing around him that stung him. Yeah. Because when they fly, they've got stingers at that point. Um, <clears throat> the Candyman's Lair was designed to look like a gothic church constructed by the people who believed in him living in Cabrini Green. I could see that. I mean, it kind of looked that way. Yeah. Uh, while investigating, and this is the last one I really got on this, while investigating one of Candyman's crime scenes, uh, Helen and Bernadette discovered that the design of the apartment's medicine cabinet made it possible point of entry for an intruder. This was not a made-up piece of horror movie fiction. While researching the film, Bernard Rose learned that the series of murders had been committed in Chicago in this very way. That's fucked up. That scared the shit out of me. Whenever I saw her push that through and you could see another apartment, I was sitting there thinking, I was like, how fucking scary would that be to know that somebody could yeah. come through your... Uh, it's it's nightmare. Goddamn medicine cabinet. <laughs> it, means it, had, it had to mean at some point they were in your bathroom to be able to either cut it out or know exactly where this was and make that happen when you're not at home. I don't know. Yeah, it's... It's it's creepy as fuck though to know that somebody could basically be literally on the other side of the wall and come through at any moment. Time. Yeah, fuck that noise. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Death Hall Awards for this episode. Final girl is Helen Lyle a final girl? Um, I'm gonna go with yes, but I'll qualify it because she's not alive, but she's alive in spirit at the end. <sighs> Yeah, she doesn't survive the movie, so there's that that kind of goes oh, against Oh, Reverend, her. don't spoil it. the movie. <laughs> Spoiler alert. She was, she was alive in spirit. That's what you said. <laughs> oh, did I? I don't remember saying that. Um, so anyway, she's got all this stuff going on like that, and it, it's, I debated for a long time whether or not she was like a final girl because of, you know, the way that she presents the movie, because she's not traditional, but you don't have to be a traditional. You don't have to be like the virginal teenager. And obviously yeah. she is it. She's had, you know, a sexual life, you know, with, with Trevor, <gasps> but, um, and probably regrets it to be honest. Yeah. Um, and you know, and she's got this, it's, it's almost like a, and, and they, they did it this way on purpose, a universal monster, like attraction to the, to the, to the, you know, the monster of the movie, you yeah. know, the, the slasher. So it's not like in the other movies where, you know, they're being harassed and like targeted by the killer and they're like trying their best to get away from them. Like she's actively drawn to him. Like whether yeah. it's because she remembers him from the past life or whatever it is, she's drawn to the candy man. So that's a little bit different. But she, and I thought for the longest time, I was like, well, does she actually take the fight to him at any point? Because she gives in to him at the one point with Burke, and she actually uses his powers to help her out, which no other final girl has ever done, really. Yeah. I mean, they don't, they don't side with a slasher. That's true. Um, but then when she, and, and she gives in to him, and she agrees to just join him in the afterlife, which is definitely not a final girl stuff. But when the baby, the innocent, yes. is being, when he reneges on his promise, then she becomes a final girl because she fights him to get that, that child back out. So that's why, in my opinion, she does qualify. Well, she was agreeing to go with him in in exchange for the baby. You let the baby live, she, and I'll come with you. 
she was trying to save him. But the yeah. whole thing about Final Girl is that they, at all odds, they they, yeah, they try to live. They try to live. Yeah. And she was she was going to become a martyr basically, but and she ends up doing that anyways. But uh, she actively fights him. You know, whenever she realizes that he's not going to honor his promise, that's I, I think that makes her a final girl at that moment in time when she decides to do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, the Candyman himself. He's an he's icon. Fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's an icon. He really. He stands up there with all of them. I mean, he's he's is he's. I would say he's more charming than Freddie. I mean, Freddie shouldn't be charming. First of all, given what yeah. he is, he's gross yeah but he is because it's robert yeah but, um but the candy man's straight up charming like i mean you get why she's attracted to the dude like i mean it's as nasty as it is when he opens up and he's like half rod and the bees are flying out there's something about the way tony todd portrays the character that you're like okay i mean he's smooth talking i mean there's there's a, a sadness there of a, a vulnerability actually to it yeah. you know like He's he's different. He's not like the rest of them. So well, I mean, it's that voice too, you know. Yeah, I mean that goes a long way um, to selling it. And he's very, I mean, in real life, I mean, Virginia Madsen describes it. I mean, he's a very tall guy, you know, kind of imposing, but you know, uh, so that helps sell it. Um, but he, but he's cool as a slasher. Uh, what's your best kill in the movie? Uh, my best kill. Let me think about it for a second. No, because we didn't get to see that one, although the body looked pretty cool. Um, Bernadette. Bernadette, yeah. I mean, I liked I liked the corpse, but that doesn't count. You didn't get to see the kill. And even hearing it, mm, I wasn't impressed by it. Let me see. That was the doctor that got the hook. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Hmm. I guess I'm going to have to go the doctor with the hook. I can't remember any others. That's the one I chose because it's you can see everything that happens to him and then yeah. the blood splatter. Yeah, there's that. There's actually I didn't watch it, but it's on that disc I have. That's like the the UK cut or the you know the um like it's it's not the US cut. It's the re for the rest of the world. They the US cut uh in that scene where he's like gutting the doctor. There that scene where <clears> that blood splatters on her face. That was a cutaway to save MPAA ratings. Yeah. And the if you watch the UK cut of it, you see more of him just getting like gutted in that scene. So yeah. there's way more to that scene if you see the other, you know, the other version. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I, everybody else you don't really see a whole lot. That kid though that had his dick cut off, that was nasty. That like was that fucked whole fucking up. And we didn't discuss this. Uh, the acting by Virginia Madsen when she walks inside that toilet and she looks like she's about to barf the oh, entire time yeah. she's in there. I felt that. Like, she did a damn good job. She did, but I also <laughs> didn't feel bad for her. I'm like, bitch, why are you there? Yeah, that's true. Why are you in here? And I'm sorry, can we discuss the shit on the wall? What kind of shit was that that you could write words with a turd on the wall that expands, <laughs> uh, what is that, about six feet that it spanned? Maybe five they 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 had a lot of protein in their diet. Tell me about it. It was thick enough. It held it ha held its texture. Definitely looked like they ate peanuts that day. <laughs> that's the that's the kind of uh, uh, breakdown you can expect from Death Holler. We're just we're going to talk about the turds. And yeah, how their consistency helped in writing tits on and the turds. Wall. Okay. I do like the fact when they had the lineup. 
there was the one guy right before the actual Candyman. I love how he delivered that. He sounded like another actor, another movie, and I don't remember which one it was, but he walked up there and he was just like, uh, whatever, whatever the candy, or whatever the the fake Candyman said. He was like, "Give me your money, bitch." You know, oh, like, yeah. the way he said it cracked me up. I just oh yeah. <laughs> he was like the one. Oh, right I heard you were looking for Candyman, candy bitch. Yeah, I heard you was looking for the Candyman, bitch. That's the way he said it. It was just hilarious. You were thinking of Freddy, is what you were thinking of? No, because he sounded like somebody. I, I don't. I mean, it was another black movie. I don't know which one it was. It's like a comedy or something. But the but he sounded like another actor. Oh I don't know God. who it was. <laughs> Good lord. Uh, who do you think had the best scream in the movie? <sighs> I got nothing. Oh, oh, um, Anne Marie, looking for her baby. Uh, yeah, I thought about that as the second one. Yeah, for sure. When yeah. she's screaming, like, "Where am I?" I said, "I said Clara," because you watched the beginning of the movie, and I, I went back just to clarify it. But right before, right when she's gutted, and you can see the blood kind of, you know, oh, just down dr- Ted yeah, Ramey, she screams pretty well. When yeah, she gets gutted. So she's a pretty good one. Uh, best boobs. We'll give it to the the protagonist, Helen Lyle. I mean, they're bloody, but they're. I mean, there's one scene where you're right, where she's in the yeah. tub, and you can kind of see a little bit more of them. That's not bloody, but they're there. They're not yeah. bad. Those are soapy, sensual boobies. I mean, it's just one <laughs> boob, but it was a meaningful boob. So that was mine. Mine was the bathtub scene boob. I was like, look at that titty. It's a nice one. I mean, the side yeah. boob was amazing, even though there was blood on that. I don't care if there was blood on them. They were they were nice. We're yeah, gonna see a lot of were. bloody boobies in the in the season that we're in. It's just gonna happen, you know. That's that's true. If we're gonna, I mean, it kind of goes with the the whole slasher thing. If there's there's gonna be blood involved somewhere. Yeah. So. Uh, who do you think is the best side character? Mm. Uh, I'm gonna go with the kid. Uh. It's weird because, like, side character, there's no characters in this film that would be a side character that made it long in the film because the kid didn't make it too long in the film. He's alive, but I guess technically he was at the end and he kind of was yeah, the one that was, called. He, yeah, he was there at the end watching the bonfires. They actually, he had that line saying, Burn the candy man. And yeah. He got the chant started. Or okay, whatever. well, then I'm going to go with him because he made it a lot more than Brenda, a.k.a. Bernadette. So. I picked him too, but I mean, it's entirely based upon him talking about if you get your dick cut off, I mean, you want to be dead. Yeah. I, he, I felt that. I mean, I, I know where you're at. Bro. Yeah. I do. And it seems mature. <laughs> I'm guessing he was like around nine-ish in this, you know, maybe portraying a nine-year-old. He might have been a little bit older, but kids in the ghetto have to grow up real fast, real fucking hey. fast. He actually had a look about him that made him look older than he was. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with that. He did a pretty good job in that sense. And to be able to understand that life is not meaningful without your penis at that young of an age is is a mature thing. And he doesn't, I mean, it doesn't have to be super, super sexual, but ultimately it literally is life. You make life with those kind of things. I'm serious, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. With, despite the kid, you know, being... Delayed, slow, retarded, however you want to describe it, you know, you never, you, you never know. Well, I mean, even with that, I mean, you think about it not having that. I mean, there's all kinds of complications that could arise from that. Oh, I mean, yeah. Definitely uh, going to get a UTI. 
Well, urinary, <laughs> urinary incontinence, if they have to, if they somehow sew it up and yeah. attach a bag to it, I mean, it's a whole thing. Yeah. So, uh, Franklin Award, I'm giving it to Trevor. Fuck him. Fuck, fuck Trevor. He, he got, so like Franklin, he, he did get gutted. So we, we can be thankful in that. Yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think if there's another Franklin in this film. The rich British asshole is the other one I thought of. Yeah, but he was so short in the film. Yeah. He wasn't able to be annoying for long enough. And he served a legitimate purpose because he was like, I'll tell you about the candy man. But it was just yeah. research that he had done. It wasn't like anything he had experienced. Um, Brenda was almost a good doom prophet because she was fucking like, bitch, no. Let's get the fuck out of here. I'm, I'm going to stay a few more minutes. I- no! <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't really know who to put as the Doom Prophet in this movie because it could be her, but she was just giving it wasn't even it wasn't Doom Prophet about the Candy Man. It was Doom Prophet about um just it was more like just real world shit. It's like yeah. you don't go into the ghetto, you're you white bitch. It you was, don't go there. It was Brenda. But Franklin, <laughs> I guess I can't disagree with Trevor. Uh, I'm trying to think. Doom Prophet too. Oh God, Brenda technically too. I don't know. I'm so torn on it. I don't know. Uh, that little kid Jake now could be a Doom Prophet too, because he did tell her that the Candyman was. There. Oh he yeah. Told her not to, he told her not to go inside of the bathroom because the Candyman was there. He did tell her that. Yeah, that's true. And he wasn't lying because that gang member was technically portraying the Candyman. Maybe he was portraying in lieu of the Candyman, so to appease the Candyman to keep the lore well, alive. That's what I was going to say earlier whenever I mentioned about him. I think that his purpose was for that. And also, I mean, he was instilling fear in the community in yes. the name of the Candyman to keep the Candyman's name going. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, he was also, I mean, obviously, I mean, it it, it served the purpose of if you take the scariest thing for this community and you make that your persona, then he's like the biggest of the gang members at that point because he's got, He's got something to make people scared of him, you know, yeah. so it, it kind of served that purpose. Do you think that the Candyman, if he and Helen had made it, if you know what I mean, like they, they did have their afterlife together, do you think he'd be like, keep my wife's name in your motherfucking mouth? <laughs> He would go the opposite way. Yeah. He'd go around slapping Chris Rock. He's like, you talk about Ellen. You better you talk, talk about, about her, it. No, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be the case because he, he'd want her name out there. Yeah. So. Um, Dumbest moment in the movie. Uh, everything Helen does. Yes. Pretty much at a certain point is stupid. I mean, she doesn't have to go there. I mean, in real world terms, like you do not go to that part of town. Like you don't. And like, she's telling Bernadette, she's like, we don't look like cops. And Bernadette's like, we look like fucking cops. You know, it's like, and then, and she even admits it later. She's like, we look like cops. So they won't fuck us up. Yeah. Or whatever. And they think like- we're cops. <laughs> oh my God. Like Nicki Minaj says, I'm on some dumb shit. And Helen was on some dumb shit. uh going into the death dick bathroom was super dumb i mean you know uh walking in on the panicked Anne marie with a goddamn meat cleaver that was probably her worst mistake oh you know what though i guess i can't completely blame her for picking up the 
the no she if you look the way she portrays that scene she picks it up because she doesn't know where she's at yeah she has to defend Though. Yes, that's perfectly legit. Yeah, but she sees Anne Marie, and Anne Marie is freaking out. You don't walk up on somebody that's freaking out. No, with a weapon, especially when you just woke up with blood and had to search your own body for a wound. Yes, I mean that she totally went about that a dumb way, and then she attacks. I mean, she has to attack Anne Marie, but like, it's her own fucking fault. Like, she could have when she saw her, she could have just out of that apartment as yeah. soon as possible and got out of there. Nope. <laughs> Bad choices. <laughs> That's pretty much the story of her life. Yeah. Um, I mean, she chose Trevor, so that was a bad choice from the start. She you didn't know. know. You don't know when you... I don't know. And she was also way younger than him. She was probably one of his students at one point, wasn't Was she? She was... She... There was her... So she was doing her college thesis, so she is younger than him. He's a professor already. Yes. She is uh, doing her like graduate thesis. That doesn't mean she's super young, but yeah. she she's not a full fledged professor herself. Oh you know, yeah, definitely like not. That. Yeah. Um, they set it up in the book, by the way, since I can make that comparison because I did read it. That she knows that he's she knows that he's sleeping around with other women. Like, but she's at the point in the relationship where she doesn't care anymore because not that she still she resents him, but like it's she's at the point where it doesn't serve any purpose to try to fight him because he'll just uh, make himself a martyr is the way that, that Clyde Barker describes it. And like, I, I understood that. Like, I mean, that was a perfect representation of like a narcissist. Like anytime she brings it up to him, he's just going to throw it back in her face. It's like, you know, I wouldn't be this way if you wouldn't, uh, you know, a bitch or whatever he's going to say. Yeah. You know? So, um, before we end this part of the episode, uh, any final thoughts? Uh, obviously, it seems like you really enjoyed this. Yeah, I mean, this movie, I can't believe I've waited this long to, like, capture the whole film. I, like I said, the only scene I remember from when I was younger is the shit on the wall scene, which obviously <laughs> does not leave a good image in your head. You're like, what the fuck no. is this about? Oh, and then, of course, the bees coming out of the toilet. And I was like, nope, I'm good. I'm going to piece the fuck up out of here. Um, and I never watched it. And then watching it more recently for the podcast, getting emotional while I'm watching it, I'm like, this is, is such a very well-done movie. Like, it's amazing. Everything looked good. There was nothing really about this film that felt so cheap or overdone. I mean, obviously, they used real bees, so that looked real. Nothing in it looked fake. The artwork was gorgeous. Um the actors did an amazing job. The ghetto really portrayed the ghetto. Uh, I, I loved the funeral scene at the end where they all come to, like, honor her. But it's also probably, it also could be one of those, like, we better fucking appease this bitch or she's going to come after us, you know? I I get what you're saying with that, but I feel like it was more of an honor thing. They yeah. respected her for what she did. Yeah, sacrificed herself for the baby and everything. Um, yeah. Uh, makeup effects looked good. Her burnt head looked amazing. She was still hot even after she burnt her hair off. <laughs> that scene where she's crawling out, man, I, I know I've already mentioned it, but still, like, yeah. I mean, they, uh, they, she looked burnt. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, and the, um, the fire planks falling on, which what I assume is a stunt person, uh, fucking amazing. 
Yeah, that was real fire. I mean, you can yeah. tell it wasn't like CGI. That was straight fire. That's so, fucking I mean. scary too, because it looked real close, and then they lit their. And I know that they use that fucking fire deterrent shit all over them and everything, but that's still fucking scary. Yeah, I um I don't know. This is probably not what they use in this movie because they've came even more. Uh, they've came along even more so in being able to do this. But when I was watching the Thing prequel. There's a lot of fire involved in that movie and mm-hmm. people getting set on fire. And uh, they used this gel that they had to put on that would, like, keep the keep you from being burnt for, like, so many, like, for so many seconds or yeah. whatever. But they described it. You feel the heat. Like, it's not yeah. like you're totally, uh, you know, numb to the feeling. It's like you feel that intense heat. It just isn't burning you yet. So, and I don't know what they had back in the day to, I think it was something similar. So, I mean, I, can you imagine like just that feeling of being fire all over you and it just, and it, and just that the heat from it, like, you know, like your brain is screaming, put this out, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's nuts. There is a music video. I forget what it's called and it includes a man running and it's in slow motion, so it goes for the whole duration of the song, which is like, I don't know, three to four minute song. Um, and the guy was only supposed to run for like 15 seconds, and I guess he ran for a couple of minutes, which that's about as long the song is, but like he went above and beyond on fire with that, with that um, gel that you're talking about. Um, and that's, that's fucking, fucking insane. insane. Yeah, and he's a stunt person, so you know, of course, they're 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 professionals. You know, don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, you say that I'm sitting there thinking of the times that, uh, like Michael Jackson set his hair on fire <gasps> on a Pepsi commercial. Yeah, uh, Richard Pryor was smoking crack and burnt his hair off. <sighs> um. <laughs> Good God. They're things. I mean, they're out there. It's just kind of funny, but uh, no, I I love this movie. And that's I figured you would like it. That's the reason I wanted to include it this season because I wanted to include it in ghost season, but it didn't really fit. Yeah. Uh, It it does, but it don't like it's much better fit in Slasher. I like Slasher because he's got the hook. Yeah, it it makes more sense. I mean, he is a ghost and it is kind of like the gothic ghost story in a sense, but the slasher angle of it with a hook is different than the other ghost movies we watch. So. Yeah, and I guess we're going to continue that tradition uh, with, well, not, obviously we're going to keep talking about the Candyman series here, but on the next, next episode when we talk about I Know What You Did Last Summer, we're just hooking them in this summer, you know? It's funny you say that because I, that's, I thought of a good Attack of the Bees to go along with uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer. There is a movie with Anna Ferris, which Uh-oh. we've already covered for Scary Movie, that she, it was a straight, a legit horror movie that she did uh, called Lover's Lane, which is about the hook, you know, killer or whatever, yeah. like from the urban legend, you know. Oh, so shit. I feel like that, so I feel like that would be a good one for Attack of the Beast to go along with the hook killer that's in, you know, I, I know what you did last summer. Definitely. So. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to wrap it up in this one, pick it up now. I'm with Farewell to the Flesh. Uh, With that, peace be with you. And with your spirit.